on air for Fan for Racing's Texas Iowa NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Glad I was able to hop in here with you tonight. Uh, Sal's uh, missing in action for some reason, so do what I can to fill in for him. Yeah, and I appreciate it. Uh, Sal had an emergency at work and uh, had to uh, call me at the last minute to let me know that he wasn't going to be able to make it. So we really appreciate Jay uh, stepping up to the plate and coming on board for tonight's show. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go through a quick review of our agenda for tonight. Uh, During our first half hour, uh, Jay and I are going to give a few updates from the ARCA East and ARCA West series. They did not race this past weekend. Uh, Then we're going to review the ARCA Menard series that did race at Iowa Speedway. Now, that race was also a Sioux Chief Showdown event, so uh, we'll have a couple of series point standings to share with you in that regard. Uh, During the second half hour, we're going to review the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race at Texas Motor Speedway. And uh, at uh, 9.20, we'll get into the Xfinity Series review, and at 9.40, uh, a review will be completed with the Cup Series at Texas. At 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew, and it sounds like both Andy and Mike will be able to join us at that time, Jay. All right, loaded up for Hot Topics. I know we saw a couple already come out through the group messenger and a couple that haven't been popped up there yet, but I know I've got to be on people's minds, so always look forward to the Hot Topics. Yes, indeed. Uh, for now, though, let's go ahead and do a little bit of a review here on the Arkham Menard Series East and West. Uh, they did not drive. First of all, I want to kind of go over their next race schedule. Um, from what I can see here, it looks like the Arca 200 presented – wait a second, let me make sure that's the right one. No, I want to get into the East. Okay, the ARCA East, it looks like their next race is actually going to be at Berlin Raceway. Uh, Right now they're saying the date TBD to be determined. Uh, We're hopeful that that race will take place. Uh, And let me grab my schedule real quick because I have put down the races uh, that they have said that they will race. Uh, That race was originally scheduled for July the 25th. And it does look like they will be racing on the 24th at Kansas Speedway uh, instead. That's the Arkham Menard Series racing at Kansas this this Friday. And uh, it looks like that race is taking place at 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. And that's actually the regular Arkham Menard Series. So that Berlin race, it looks like that has been postponed for now. So I'm not really sure when the next ARCA East race is going to take place. And we may be in the same situation here, Jay, with the ARCA Menard Series West. Yeah, and I'm looking at it. I'm not finding anything either here on a, on a full schedule. I know they outlined uh, kind of the ARCA Menards as a whole, but I'm not finding that individual East schedule. Yeah, I'm look, going through my calendar here real quick to see if I can see anything. Uh, I see another Arca race. Uh, 
seems like I did see something for Arkham and Art Series East or West. Uh, real quick, I'm just trying to check the calendar here. A lot of ARCA races are scheduled, but the East and the West, uh, it doesn't seem that we have anything on the schedule yet. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, We can go over the standings, Jay. Uh, Let's start with the ARCA Menard Series East. Uh, Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, You said start with the East? Yeah, let's start with right. the East. I know Sam Mayer's in the lead, and it's pretty tight there. There's only two races in that Arkham and Art Series East. All right, for some reason that one's not wanting to pull up for me either. Are you having problems oh, okay. with the Arkham well, site? Uh, no, I was able to get in right away. Sam Mayer is in the lead by just two points over Ty Gibbs. In third place is Nick Sanchez from Rev Racing, and his teammate at Rev Racing is in fourth with Chase Cabaret. Parker Retzlaff is in fifth place. To round out the top ten, we've got Giomani Bramante, Max McLaughlin, Justin Carroll, and Mason Diaz, all having participated in the two races that they've had so far. And then Derek Griffin, with just one race, is in the tenth position there in the Arkham Menard Series East. Let me see. All right, for some reason I'm not able to pull yeah. For some reason I'm not able to pull up any of the standings in the Arca series. Hmm. Okay, well let me go ahead and do the West series then as well. Uh in the Arkham Menard series West, they've had four events already. And uh, so the spread is a little bit more, but still fairly tight. Jesse Love is in first place uh, with in that series. Blaine Perkins in second. Gracie Trotter is in third. Trevor Hollis in fourth. And Todd Souza breaks up that uh, McAnally Sunrise Ford group. Uh, he is in fifth place. The next five drivers to round out the top ten include Gio Stelzi, Lawless Allen, Holly Holland, Takuma Koga, and Bobby Hillis Jr. rounding out that top ten. The top five are spread out by, it looks like, 33 points. The top ten spread is 58 points. So these guys have a few more races under their belt. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to see them race again. Uh, But right now we don't have anything on the schedule, so fans will need to stay tuned there. Uh, I will say, Jay, there's always some good articles at ArcaRacing.com. I am finding all of those. That's why I was scrolling through those just to get to the uh, try and get the standings up. But yeah, you're right. There are a couple up there. Um, one starting with the Iowa bringing together the championship contenders uh, for the main series. I know on the the West it talked about Jesse Love and the and the rally he's been on as of late to take over that points lead in the West series. Mm-hmm. And then the, the female driver in the series this year is Gracie Trotter, and uh, she was racing at Iowa Speedway this weekend with the uh, Arkham Menard Series. So really cool to see some features on some of these guys. Uh, there were a couple of drivers that made debuts this weekend as well in the Arca Series. Cody Swanson was one of those guys. Um, really good to see NASCAR and Arca 
the Arkham and Art series featuring uh, all of these drivers in um, in you know in these series because these are the up and coming future stars of NASCAR. It is, and I know that we always like to bring that to the fans so that they know who these drivers are. A lot of fans maybe only watch the top three national series, uh, so when they hit the truck series or Xfinity, they already know who they are and invested in them. I, I know you and I have gone through several. You mentioned Cole Custer of back when he was a West driver. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, there's a lot of drivers that we've talked to over the years, and uh, to see them now racing in the – Cup Series or the Xfinity Series or the NASCAR Cup Series is always great to see. Now, uh, the only race at Iowa Speedway this year uh, with NASCAR and the Arkham and Art Series is actually the race that took place this past weekend. So I was happy to see Iowa have a race uh, this weekend. They did a doubleheader with uh, the uh, NTT IndyCar Series, so that was pretty cool to see. Uh, but uh, this race was also part of, Jay, that Sioux Chief Showdown uh, competition, uh, the competition within the competition of the Arkham Menard Series. Well, and we saw Chandler Smith, and we said it, that he's going to be a tough one to beat in that as the short track is what he can run. I know he's now eligible being 18, but his schedule is kind of laid out at the beginning of the season. But we saw the last two years that he's been doing this, he is tough to beat on these short tracks, and he does still lead that uh, Sioux Chief showdown by 10 points over Michael Self. Uh, what, two firsts and a third, it looks like? 43, 43, and 40 points earned in each of the three races. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so it, it was Ty Gibbs who prevailed. He's had an amazing season, and he's raced in all three of the Arkham Menard Series uh, competitions, and or I should say all four, actually. And uh, he's just, again, his age prevents him from racing full-time in the series, but uh, he's had an amazing run uh, across all of these series. He certainly has, and he's another one. Once we get to see him run a schedule full-time, just so excited, and, and we've seen him elevate. It used to be that we said, well, he's going to finish second because he finishes a lot of runner-ups. We're seeing him win a lot more now <laughs> than runner-up, so look out. Yes, indeed. Watch out. Uh, now, it was Sam Mayer, the series points leader in the East, and, and Ty Gibbs. Uh, they've had their share of tangles uh, over their short time in the Arkham and Art series, uh, but they were uh, actually competing pretty hard for the lead in the closing laps, but Meyer... Uh, kind of ran into some issues. He, his car slid up the track and he scraped the wall, and that slowed down slowed him down enough for Gibbs to go on and win uh, that race. So uh, I know it was probably disappointing for Mayer. I'm sure he really wanted that win. Uh, Gibbs actually won by 1.410 seconds ahead of Mayer in that race. So uh, disappointing for sure for Mayer. But uh, there's more races on the schedule, as I referenced a few minutes ago. Uh, So we're going to see these guys tangle some more. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, And we know, uh, having seen Sam Mayer run, I mean, he gives it all he's got every lap, every race. uh, You know, take no prisoners. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say he's an aggressive driver, but he certainly is full throttle. 
Yes, he is. Gibbs has four wins uh, across the Arkham and Art Series, the East and the and the uh, Arkham and Art Series East this year. Mayer's finished fourth just once, third once, and second twice. Since winning the first two starts of 2020, Mayer's still looking to get back to Victory Lane uh, after the return to racing. So since the COVID uh, return, uh, he has not made it to Victory Lane yet, and I think Ty Gibbs is a big reason for that. Well, and you mentioned the two of them, you know, having a couple of run-ins together. That's what happens is both these guys are running up front, running for the wins, running for those top two, three positions. So you're going to see that. Like I said, I don't see that either one is being over-aggressive or uh, a rough driver. But when you have two that are that fast and that talented at the top, you're going to have them going door-to-door a lot. (laughs) Exactly. And going back to the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, results, uh, Ty Gibbs was not up in that top uh, group. Uh, he's behind both Chandler Smith and Michael Self because he had a 15th place. That was his worst finish of the year at Lucas Oil Raceway. But he is third in those showdown standings despite that. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. He trails Mayer by two points after the Arkham Yard Series East races, uh, but now they're going to head back to Ohio's Toledo Speedway in two weeks for a doubleheader weekend. So uh, that's going to be interesting as well uh, to see how those guys uh, kind of uh, sort that out. Well, now, we've seen that overall. Yeah, Gibbs sorry, prevailed in their first trip to Toledo in June. I, I forgot to just mention that. We've seen that in the past with, the, you know, we've seen it in the, in the Arkham Menards uh, series, especially in the West series, these double headers. I know we see a couple, a couple in the East as well, uh, more common there, but these double header weekends, I mean, really are going to define your point spread and a good weekend is really going to push you up in the standings. Yes, indeed. Now another driver, uh, Jay, that's been kind of tired uh, of not winning so far this season. He's come close. That's a 23-year-old driver from Mumford, Alabama, Brett Holmes. He finished third at Iowa. It was the fourth race across the Arkham and Art Series and East Series since the return to racing that he's finished in the top four. That's uh, put Holmes on the climb to sole possession of second place in the Arkham and Art Series point standings. He's now 19th points behind Michael Self and 14 points ahead of third place driver Drew Dollar. So that gives you a feel for just how competitive this series is. And he's one of those drivers I think back I hear a lot of fans talk about as far as being kind of like Jimmy Johnson what they call a vanilla driver. You don't see a lot of flash out of him, you don't see a lot of aggression out of him necessarily on the track. Just there and he is such a solid driver. But if you ever get the chance to talk to him, he is so down-to-earth, a humble guy, again, driving for his own team, uh, That one of the nicest guys I think you'd want to meet in a pit area, especially within the Arkham Menard series. Yeah, he really is a great guy. Uh, we were going to have him on the show before the COVID-19 break, but then when the race was canceled, uh, we kind of uh, left it to be rescheduled. So we'll have to definitely keep him in mind for the future. Now, a couple of drivers that took a hit on the championship side of things, Drew Dollar and Haley Deegan took big hits. 
after they had some mechanical issues. Uh, Dollar was sidelined with engine issues, uh, and uh, so he ended up finishing 17th, 42 laps down. So that didn't help. Uh, Today was actually Haley Deegan's 19th birthday, uh, and she took a sudden turn for the rest worse. She was running second. Uh, and suddenly slowed down, came to pit road with a flat rear tire and what would be diagnosed as a track bar mount that broke. So her birthday was actually during this race, and so that ended up derailing her efforts this weekend as well. So uh, that was not good. And then also Michael Self avoided kind of catastrophic uh, results. He came down pit road while it was closed, just prior to the second break with an electrical issue. The team was able to keep him going, and he walked away with a sixth-place finish. It was his seventh straight top ten to start the season, and he maintained his lead over Holmes and company. So uh, a couple of uh, other drivers to keep your eye on there after Iowa. I know it's one of those cliche things when you talk about racing of whether you're lucky or good, and sometimes when you are good, you make your own luck. Uh, you talked about Michael Self being able to to save that a good finish. I mean, that's one of those when you are running that good, just the way things are clicking, your team, everything, that does kind of happen. Now, we'll see what happens with Drew Dollar and Haley Deegan. Hopefully this was a, a one-time off incident and they're able to rebound, but that does put them in a little bit of a hole because to make up 30-some points on a driver like Michael Self and now Brett Holmes in second, going to be really tough because they haven't had those missteps. Exactly, and uh, they're they're really going to continue to be on their toes, I think, for the remainder of this season. It's not insurmountable, but uh, they're going to have to be on their toes equally as well. Uh, now, in his first stock car start, Cody Swanson started ninth and finished eighth, which was pretty impressive. The first time USAC Silver Crown Series champion was making his series debut with Chad Bryant Motorsports. Also, 15-year-old Taylor Gray continued his run of solid finishes with a fifth-place finish. Gray has three top fives and four top tens in just five starts in the Arkham Menard Series East and West. Now, Gracie Trotter led the Bill McAnally group with a ninth-place run. She's 18 years old from Concord, North Carolina, and was making her second series start. Her teammate, Gio Selzy, was 11th. Jesse Love was 12th, and he leads the West Series over Blaine per- Perkins, as we mentioned earlier, by 17 points, with Tracy Totter uh, following behind 27 points away from the lead after just five races. Now, the West will run a doubleheader weekend. Uh, we were looking for this information, and here it is in here. The West will run their doubleheader weekend on August 7th and 8th, They'll be at Evergreen Speedway in Monroe, Washington that Friday before going to Douglas County Speedway in Roseburg, Oregon. So uh, look for those races coming up on the schedule. Well, certainly look forward to that. Again, the, the doubleheader weekends are always so cool to watch and to see once they come out of the weekend of how that so shuffles up the points. Exactly. Looking at the Arkham and Arts Series, um, Points, uh, I don't know if you can get that one, Jay. I'm thinking maybe not. That that one is the only one I've been able to pull up. I have the overall points for the okay. Arkham Menard series. 
Why don't you go ahead and hit that? All right. Again, we talked about Michael Self has a 19-point lead over Brett Holmes. Drew Dollar and Haley Deegan sliding into the third and fourth positions now, 33 and 36 points back. And then you got Thad Moffitt. Now, we didn't talk about him, but he's sitting in fifth, uh, two top fives, four top tens in his seven starts. But, again, with the performance of the top guys, he's sitting 57 points back. Now, those are the five that have made all seven races. Six on back, you got a couple of – it's going to be – points gap is going to be further back because they haven't made all the starts. Ryan Huff with six starts is 112 points back. Ty Gibbs, only five starts, but three of them being wins that we mentioned, 118 points back. Sam Mayer also with only five starts. No wins, but four of the five top fives is at 145 back in eighth. Chandler Smith is ninth, only four starts, but two wins. Puts him at 156 back. And then Tanner Gray with five starts at 172 back. Okay. So, um, again, a lot of these guys are too young to race the full schedule, and that's why they don't have as many races as those guys in the top five. But, uh, again, as as these birthdays continue to happen, Jay, I think we're going to see some of these guys. Excuse me, I've got the hiccups. I think we're going to see some of these guys racing a little more frequently. You certainly hope so, and I know if they know where their birthday falls, their schedule kind of plays into that. We don't necessarily have privy to all of that. Some of the drivers that we've been able to talk to um, come on the show that we've had on. We learned some of that, but we'll have to wait and see then uh, as it plays out or whether or not maybe some of them couldn't pick up that or extra race or two until they were approved and whatnot. So, and again, sponsorship, unfortunately, always comes into play. It certainly does. Okay, Jay, we've got a few minutes here. Let's go ahead and get into our points positions for the uh, Fan for Racing Fantasy group. All right. Well, I got two that I'm going to have to double-check their uh, total points here on a couple, but uh, as I was doing them real quick here before we come on on the show, we'll start with the truck series. Uh, Andy picked up the seven there, I believe, with Kyle Busch. Yes, he did. And that was one where he was in a battle for the lead. Now he holds it, 31 points over 28 for Owen. Sharon's at 23, Sam at 22, Mike at 19, and that would leave me. I'm sorry, James is in there. James at 20, then Mike at 19, and myself having another little rough week down at 16. Uh, In the Xfinity Series, what? yeah, I know, I'm struggling there. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, there I got the win. Uh, how to approach this? I was gifted the win with Austin Sindrick. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sharon, on the other I end of that, I had with it. his disqualification, yeah, thought you did too. Uh, so did he. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I closed that gap a little bit. Andy's still pretty solid there at 68. I'm at 52. Sharon, you're at 44, and then. Sam and Owen at 39, James at 37, and Mike at 30. With the exception of Andy being way out front, that one's a closer one. Uh, On the cup side, there none of us had the winner. Uh, Sharon had the best with Kevin Harvick picking up six points, brings her up to 61. I have a little bit of a lead on that one at 85, Andy at 75. Sam I'm showing at 64, which that's one of the ones i got to double-check. 
uh, Sharon at 61. I'm sorry, Owen at 62, then Sharon at 61, and James at 49, Mike at 46. And so for total points, Andy, again, still doing so well in all of this series, sitting pretty at 174. I'm at 153. Owen and Sharon tied at 128. Sam at 125. James at 106. And even with the late start, Mike's just about to close in in the 100 bracket at 95. Okay. So that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we really appreciate you being the guy that kind of keeps track of all of that. And and we also appreciate you double-checking those numbers. We don't want anybody to uh, feel slighted there. But uh, it's been a lot of fun and gives a whole different perspective when I'm watching a race these days. Well, and that's one of those I, I keep track of our picks, and I got points there, and then I transfer it to the total page, and that's where the two aren't adding up. So I got to figure out where it is I'm misadding one side or the other. So uh, later on tonight, I will go through and double check those, and then uh, we'll start bringing in our picks for the week. And we've been talking about these double headers, uh, and the truck series being the one that's uh, a little bit close, and points. They have a double header coming up this weekend, so that could change drastically or tighten it up one way or the other because we'll have to pick two drivers for the same weekend exactly so that always makes it kind of interesting last time i think we all picked the same driver for both races uh we'll have to see if that happens again this weekend Um, all right Um, i know for might be a might be a little different for the truck series i know in the xfinity series I, you know, everybody's free to do what they want, but it makes it easier on me if everybody picks the same driver for both races. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let me just mention, this is a good time for me to mention, uh, Jay and I normally do our preview show on Thursday night, uh, and we were actually planning that when Andy reminded us uh, that there is a race on Thursday night at Kansas uh, Speedway, for the uh, Cup Series, they're racing Thursday night, so we can't do our radio show uh, during that race. So Andy or uh, Jay and I, I'm sorry, are going to be doing the podcast as we've done in these situations this year. Uh, we'll do the podcast earlier in the day, and that allows us to still preview that race on Thursday night and uh, the rest of the races over the weekend, uh, and have it available for everybody sometime on Thursday afternoon. So uh, just wanted to kind of give the heads up there that our preview show will be done via a podcast and uh, will be available on Thursday afternoon. Well, I know there, too, it depends on their schedule, uh, whether or not Mike and Andy will be able able to join us for Hot Topics. We still do the Hot Topics session following that. Uh, I know last time, actually, they both did. A, I think their schedule was they had to get up a little early, so... Uh, I know that feeling. I'll be getting up early as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, And, yeah, it didn't look promising for them to be on Hot Topics with us on Thursday, but uh, I may ask for a few guests to step in, uh, at least one other guest to step in and uh, help us out with Hot Topics on that day. All right. Well, you know, I'm still waiting for. I know at night he he uh, can't. Sal can't. And I imagine during the day is probably even even worse as far as that. But I'm still waiting for Sal to be on hot topics just once. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to let him know. Uh, you never know what can happen. 
Okay. Now, with that, we're coming up on the top of the hour. I know we're a couple minutes early, but let's go ahead and get into uh, the Camping World Truck Series. It's not the Camping World Truck Series. We know that. (laughs) The Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series uh, for NASCAR raced uh, this weekend, the Vancor 250 at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. The winner uh, was originally, no, he did win in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series, Kyle Busch at the age of 35 in the number 51. I, for a second, I thought that might have been a misprint. I was going to say, don't don't take that one away from him. No. Uh, Kyle Busch uh, won that race in his number 51 Cessna Toyota uh, for Kyle Busch Motorsports. His crew chief uh, for that race was Danny Stockman, Jr. Now, Kyle Busch... Uh, it was his 59th victory in 155 Truck Series races, his third victory and fourth top ten finish this year, and the fifth victory and tenth top ten finish in 14 races at Texas Motor Speedway. Christian Eckes, a rookie, posted uh, his first top ten finish. Uh, he finished second in his series debut at Texas Motor Speedway. It was his fourth top ten finish this year. Matt Crafton came in third, posting his 28th top ten finish in 39 races at Texas Motor Speedway. And uh, Christian Eckes, of course, was that highest finishing rookie of the race. So that was pretty cool to see. Any thoughts there about those guys, Jay? Yeah, some very impressive stats there put up by Kyle Busch. Again, the talent he has, and I'll touch on this a little bit here, but running in the truck series, uh, sixty almost 60 races out of the 155 starts, not quite 50%, but better than 66%. So somewhere in the 70 to 75% range um, that he's got for a winning percentage there. The, talking about him coming down and racing in the truck series, that's his own team racing against his own teammate, in this case, Christian Eckes. I mean, not cutting him any mm-hmm. slack. Those two went wheel to wheel, and Kyle, <laughs> you know, like, you're going to beat me. You're going to earn it, you know, and that's what the drivers really do appreciate that. That, that tells them where they're at, and they know if they're going to beat him, they're on top of their game. So uh, I'm sure Christian Eckes wasn't necessarily happy with second, but he knows – He's right there with his t- teammate at the caliber of Kyle Busch. Exactly right. Now, a lot of folks have been asking, where the heck has Stuart Friesen been this year? Well, he showed up this weekend with a fourth-place finish at Texas Motor Speedway in his number 52, Halmar Friesen uh, uh, Toyota. Also, Brett Moffat came home with a fifth-place finish for GMS Racing. Now, uh also, if we look at the next 10, there's Tyler Ankrum, Justin Haley, Grant Infinger, Ben Rhodes. Man, he raced up front in that top five all race long, and then at the end, it seemed like he just slid back uh, to ninth place. And Ross Chastain finished in that 10th position. Uh, right behind him, though, are a couple of rookies with uh, Derek Krause and uh, Raphael Lassard finishing in 11th and 12th. Well, uh, you mentioned Stuart Friesen. Matt Crafton's kind of been the same way. Right now they're still, uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to pull up the truck series points, uh, a couple that we have kind of been asking that. I definitely have been one of them, uh, where they've been at as they are outside that playoff bubble. 
And we know uh, Matt Crafton, three-time champion, obviously knows how to get it done. So whether or not they got enough time here, and I think this doubleheader coming up is going to be a big determining factor in that. Yes, these guys are starting to get into more of their races, and so the cream and the and things are starting to separate a little bit. So and and kind of shake up a little bit as well. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, now it was Kyle Busch winning the first stage. Uh, the number twenty-three of Brett Moffat came in as the winner of the second stage. And, of course, Kyle Busch won that third stage to win the race. The margin of victory was uh, 0.777 seconds uh, between first and second. There were five caution flags for 26 laps and 15 lead changes, uh, Jay, among seven drivers. So uh, that's pretty. that was pretty cool to see. It was a great, great race. I actually have it on the TV right now watching a replay of it. Uh, I only got to see part of it on Saturday as I was out at the track. But some great racing, starting with that truck series uh, there at Kansas. I'm sorry, Texas, Texas. Uh, coming up to Kansas. Okay. Now, we've also got the uh, points report here. Do you want to go ahead and go over that? And then I do have some post-race audio that we can listen to as well. All right. Well, and this is real interesting. I'll get to what I was talking about, and it it did change. Uh, Currently, your leader is still Austin Hill, uh, 22 points up on Ben Rhodes. Sheldon Creed picked up his first win a couple of weeks ago, uh, sits third. They're 22 and 32 points behind. Christian Eckes as the top rookie is 33 points back. Zane Smith, another rookie, 46 points back as your top five. Then you have Brett Moffitt, Grant Infinger, Tyler Ankrum, and Todd Gillen. Oh, I missed one. Brett Moffitt, Grant Infinger, Tyler Ankrum, Todd Gillen, and Matt Crafton now in the 10th spot. And that ranges from 47 points all the way back to 75 points back. The ten point or the tenth place is the cutoff for the truck series. Derek Krause, rookie, is eighty-six points back, eleven out. And then you have Johnny Sauter and Stuart Friesen. And the Sauter was the one I thought was in, and Matt Crafton was out. That obviously changed this past week. And as Johnny Sauter yeah, had he issue ran with his truck, bad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I know they I know they talked about that, so it definitely swapped that up. Now, the key thing here is when we talk about Friesen and Sauter, not that any of these drivers can't win a race, but we know they are race winners and can get it done. If they get a win, they're going to bump in. So far, only Sheldon Creed and Grant Engfinger with two regular series truck drivers that have won a race. So that's going to become a huge factor, as you said, as these guys start to come back to some of these tracks or kind of get into the groove as this season has kind of been uh, up, up and down. These drivers that are winning every year start winning. You're going to see some of these in the top ten in points maybe get pushed out. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because that certainly can happen. Uh, because as you mentioned, both Matt Crafton and Johnny Sauter are uh, are uh, veterans of this uh, series, and they can, they are certainly capable of getting a win before this is all said and done. Stuart Friesen, I would put in that category as well. Uh, it's not his typical season, but I look for as um, this year uh, gets uh, further into the season, I think we're going to see more things from Stuart Friesen, so that's going to be interesting. 
Uh, I'm going to give you your choice here, uh, Jay. We've got uh, several post-race audio clips here. Uh, we can listen to uh, Kyle Bush. Christian Eckes has a three-minute segment. Uh, we've got a thing here about a minute 40 from uh, Matt Crafton, and then Danny Stockman, Jr., seven, about a little over seven minutes. So uh, Kyle Bush's is about a little more than uh, 10 minutes, almost 11. So which one would you like to listen to? Well, as fan knows, I'm, as fans know, I'm not necessarily an anti-Kyle Bush, but I know we do get to hear a lot from him. So let's start with uh, Christian Eckes anyway and see what he talks about finishing second to his boss man. Okay, and we'll be able to hear this entire thing. So uh, let's hear what Christian Eckes has to say. Driver of the number 18 Safe Light Auto Glass Toyota, the second-place finisher and highest finishing rookie. It is coming up here, so hang tight. Yeah, media chance to raise their hand here in the participants' tab. Yeah, uh, the race went pretty well overall. Uh, first stage, we were just were a little bit off on handling-wise, but uh, we got it better. Thank you. 
Christian, it looks like it's the last question we have for you. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on your run today. Okay, that was Christian Eckes, uh, driver of the number 18 for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and his thoughts about racing with his boss, James. Well, and it's kind of what we expected, you know, and he said, you know, he's just, uh, I'm not going to repeat what he said, it has got beeped out there, uh, so darn good. <laughs> um, but also he he was evaluating, you know, already uh, even in the post race, you know, a couple little things, and that's what it takes, so, you know, to get that, that final. When you're running top two, top three, those little things that, that that's going to take to get you to victory lane. And he obviously had a couple of them in, in mind, and getting to run behind Kyle Busch and see what he did to know, oh, that's what I need to do. So, again, that's why these drivers really do like running with Kyle Busch and other drivers that come down into these other series. Yes, and and you did get that feeling that when he was uh, racing behind Kyle, uh, he wasn't necessarily running in the same groove that Kyle was running, but he was trying different things on the track uh, and trying to learn uh, where he might be able to find an advantage to get around Kyle Busch. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too, because a lot of times these guys do kind of study uh, a driver like uh, Kyle Busch and try to emulate what he's doing. Uh, I thought that his strategy of trying to kind of find a different groove uh, and figure out which groove was going to work to get around him was uh, pretty cool. There two things come into play there. You're right. Uh, you know, if you know somebody's better than you, what are they doing? Then it's a matter of whether or not that works for you. And if not, uh, as as they say in racing, you know, if you're going to pass somebody, you got to go where they're not. So if you're running the same groove, you get to them, you got to pass them. So prior to getting to them, if you run a little bit different groove that helps you close up and catch them, obviously that's going to give you the benefit of trying to pass them, but then you see that leader, especially a leader like Kyle Busch, if they get told that or see it, you know, that, hey, they're gaining on you, they're running a different groove, that leader, a veteran leader, is going to move up and take that groove away. <laughs> exactly right. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting to watch play out. And it was the boss that ended up winning the race. He said he wasn't going to give it to him. Uh, he was, he was going to make, make him race hard for it. And I think you've mentioned that too, Jay, and, and that's exactly what Kyle Bush was thinking. So that was pretty cool. Now, is there anybody else you want to hear from here? Oh, if, uh, I know he's uh, with Kyle Bush Motorsports now, crew chief Danny Stockton. Okay, let me see if we can pull that up. Uh, that one, I think, is maybe a little bit longer. Give me just a minute here. Uh, yeah, that one's going to be seven minutes. Or, let's see. Let me look here. Yeah, 309. Okay, yeah, this is a seven-minute one, so we probably won't be able to hear the whole thing, but we can hear at least right. his opening statements, Jay. Okay, let's hear what Danny Stockman had to say. He's the crew chief for uh, the race-winning car, the number 51 Cessna Toyota for Kyle Busch. All right, and we are now joined by our race-winning crew chief, Danny Stockman, on the number 51 KBM Toyota. Uh, Danny, while we wait for the media to queue up with their questions, why don't you just take us through the race quickly there from the top of the tip-off. Uh, we fired off just a little bit uh, on the free side. At the first stop, we took 
took around out of the right rear, did a little bit of air pressure, and got it to where the balance is pretty close, and didn't really have to work on it for the rest of the day. So um, everybody at KBM and um, Toyota and, and the whole the whole group did, did an awesome job preparing for this week. Um, it's an awesome thing for KBM one-two finish. Um, Christian Eckes did one hell of a job, and I I got a I got a guess in the 18. They they had a they had a bullet for a truck tonight, and um, might have even been better than ours. The thing is, is we had the experience behind behind the wheels, so um, it's just awesome one-two finish for KBM and Toyota, and um, awesome night. Okay. Interesting comment there that he thought the 18 might have been even a little bit better than the 51. To do it goes to the driver of Kyle Busch, you know. So, again, all the trucks coming out of the KBM stable, but putting Kyle Busch in that truck definitely plays a factor. Yes, it does. Uh, you know, and, and I, I know we commented on it over the weekend. He seems to get uh, out of his car uh, more than what the car is capable of giving sometimes. Uh, so it is amazing what he is able to do. He, he certainly did that in that, uh, was it the Xfinity race where he lost, he went through the grass? Or was that the oh, cup race? Unbelievable. That, that, was that was in the, the uh, in the cup race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the, the talent able to hold on to it, and again, you know that car couldn't quite be right. You can't repair it to the to where it was, but enough to where he could manage it and recover. And what did he get? I think he got second or third. Yeah, he was right up there. Uh, we'll go over that in a little bit here when we do our uh, Cup Series review. He was in the top five, so you're right. At probably the top three. So he he really had a good run despite uh, the challenges uh, that he had to overcome. And we know that that's always a sign of a good champion and a potential champion. Uh, one of the things I look for from teams as we watch throughout the season. So, uh, again, it was a great race, uh, I think, for the Truck Series. They always put on a good show. Uh, they'll be racing again this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Uh, they'll be racing on Friday. Uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at Kansas Speedway. The, the TV coverage will be on Fox Sports 1. So, again, we'll get into that on our podcast for Thursday, uh, but just to give you a heads up in case you need to set the DVR. Okay, anything else that you want to mention real quick about this truck series before we move on, Jay? Well, it doesn't necessarily pertain to the truck series here. i got some good news and bad news. Um the points I was talking about, I did find one mistake mm-hmm. on Owen's side on the Cup Series, so he's at 61, tied with you, Sharon. And then for okay. Sam, his was actually an adjustment and up in the Xfinity Series, puts him ahead of you at, I'm sorry, one, one point behind you, 43 to 44. But the total points, that puts Sam, Owen tied with you at 128 and Sam ahead of you at 129. Oh, my. <laughs> Interesting so stuff. So that got there. a little tighter. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. Uh, and uh, again, it's always fun to uh, kind of keep an eye on that as we zoom through the season. Okay, let's go ahead and move on, Jay, to the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series, the 24th annual My Bariatric Solutions 
300. Uh, the race winner was Austin Sindrick at the age of 21 in his number 22 Money Lion Ford with Team Penske. And his crew chief this weekend is Brian Wilson. Now, Sindrick won uh, his fourth victory in 83 Xfinity Series races. I think it's his third victory in a row. Uh, so pretty interesting stat there for him. It's his second victory and 12th top 10 finish this season. He's had more than two victories because he won two races at uh, the one track in the doubleheader. So I, I don't know that that's cor- totally correct. Uh, it's also his first victory and fourth top 10 finish in five races at Texas Motor Speedway. Now, Chase Briscoe finished second. He posted his second top ten finish in four races at Texas, and it's also his top ten finish this year. Justin Gaugauer in third, posting his tenth top ten finish in 20 races at Texas. Harrison Burton, the rookie, finished in fourth, and uh, he was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, Cindric is the ninth different driver to win three or more consecutive races right there. It tells you he had more than two victories. Uh, To win three or more consecutive races in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the most recent driver to do it was actually uh, Christopher Bell, who did it in 2018. So uh, at least three wins there for um, uh, Cindric. And I know one thing that he's really excited about is that uh, those are three oval wins that he now has versus the road courses uh, that he's won at previously. He uh, has always commented, everybody always thinks of him as being a road course driver. Well, he's kind of breaking that mold this year. Well, let me gather my thoughts back together now as you took all of mine away because that's exactly where I was going with that. Sorry. He was one of those that was (laughs) labeled as a road course uh, racer only um, to come out and win three in a row. And I know – Kyle Busch actually won that race, was DQ'd, got put to the back, moving Sindrick up. But, again, he was in that position. Another one of those, you know, late restart, the way strategy played out, Kyle Busch was out front. They had a shot at him. Uh, The experience paid off, you know, in in that. But he was right up in there and contending, and that certainly doesn't take away from the two wins he had uh, the previous weekend. So that's got to feel real good for him knowing that, like you said, of, of that label of road course racer when you know you're not. You just haven't gotten the win on an oval yet. I mean, we just saw A.J. Allmendinger get his first a couple on an oval as well. Exactly, exactly. So it is really cool to see that uh, happening for these uh, drivers. Uh, now, going down the list here, we've uh, talked about uh, uh, Austin Sendrick, Chase Briscoe, Justin Algauer, and Harrison Burton in that top four. Michael Lynette uh, finished in fifth place. The next five drivers will round out the top ten. Jeb Burton with a really good run, finishing sixth. Brandon Jones, Justin Haley, Ross Chastain, and Brandon Brown with another good run, rounding out that top ten. This goes to all races, not just this one. You know, some of the finishes obviously not uh, indicative how they ran, but that's part of racing, and that happens. So. You know, some of these guys we don't always see up in the, necessarily see up in the top 10, 
but they're in the position when something happens that they're able to capitalize on it. And we're seeing that. And they're right on the verge of making the playoffs, which, again, is going to get them a whole lot more attention, hopefully a little bit more sponsorship and be able to build for the future. So good to see them get those finishes. Uh, Jeb Burton, we talk about, I know the Earnhardt Jr. talked about him throughout the broadcast. Obviously, that's his team. But doing what he can in limited starts, you know, and, and that's a big thing. And uh, unfortunately, we got to talk about Myatt Schneider as one had a bad finish. I know he's right there in that bubble as well, trying to work his way into the playoffs uh, of making what they can in the starts that they get. Okay. Now we do have some post-race audio here from Wayne Otten, uh, the managing director of the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He explains uh, why Kyle Busch was uh, uh, DQ'd uh, from being the race winner of this event. So it's a nine-minute audio, so we won't be able to listen to all of it. Uh, but I do want to listen to a few minutes of it just so fans can hear uh, what the issue was with uh, Kyle Busch's car. All right. We are now joined by Wayne Auden, director of the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, Wayne, why don't you just uh, take us through what happened in inspection there as we... Uh, just announced we just qualified the number 54 car. Okay, certainly. We, uh, we automatically take our top five cars and ran them to post-race inspection every week. The cars are checked exactly like we check on pre-race as with the, uh, the shock and all on hook. Uh, the teams have the availability to pick up on their car. Uh, after their shocks are unhooked, we check air pressure first. Then we, then we let them, one person can unbolt the shock pull up on the front end, or bounce it as we call it, it's their choice. And the hood is put down and then the car is rolled up onto the pipe station. Air pressures have already been checked. And so that way we're checking uh, apples to apples, so to speak. We check them the same way post-race we do pre-race. Once the uh, air pressures have already been set, make sure I'll say that, uh, then uh, we put the height sticks on them, up on the platform. If there's any discrepancies, we look at the body to see if there's any damage to it that may have caused the car not to pass the post-race inspection. But we did not see that on the 54 car today. Uh, and then uh, we verified with the crew chief, Jake Scanter, that uh, the, right, the left rear was low in red. So we pulled the sticks off. We let them recheck the air pressures. We do not roll the car around like we used two years ago, but for this is the second year of one inspection took place. All the garage knows the ins and outs of uh, post-race inspections, how we're going to do them. We recheck the air pressures to let them check those, make sure they are right. Once the air pressures are verified by the NASCAR official plus the team, then the height sticks are displayed back on the car again. And uh, on the 54 car, the left rear was still uh, in red. So at that point in time, we advised the team that they would be DQ from Texas. The... Uh, 22 car is now declared a winner. Inspection is complete. And that car has already been uh, verified with all the heights and the post-race Okay, there you have it from Wayne Norton, the managing director of the Xfinity Series. Any thoughts after listening to that, Jay? No, I haven't been around racing. I'm pretty familiar with a, a tech procedure. Again, I know every track is different, but a couple of key points I think he hit on there was once it's it's low, they're comparing it to the pre-race, uh, as he said, comparing apples to apples. But they do check to see if there's a part failure or damage that come from the race, that then they'll take a look at that or whether or not that's 
uh, going to be acceptable because we've seen it where teams will intentionally damage a part or something. Didn't find that. Then also the the rechecking, you know, hey, we'll, we'll give it another chance. And I know with the, with especially with shocks, you give that uh, set time, what they call a set time, allow the shocks to readjust. And NASCAR's aware of that, you know. So again, they give it that amount of time. They were allowed to recheck the air pressure just to make sure they're set right and check it again. So it's not just a, well, we found something wrong, you're automatically DQ'd. You know, they're thorough about it and they're fair about it, which I like to see. And I think that the way they have gone about this has been absolutely great. We haven't seen any favoritism as we've seen some top name drivers get DQ'd as well as some lower teams. So uh, takes away that uh, stigmatism of favoritism. Yes, indeed. So, and he gave a very thorough explanation there, I thought. So uh, I thought that they did everything they could to be fair in that situation, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, now, Justin Algauer was probably disappointed because he won uh, stage one and stage two, uh, but was not able to close out the race. Uh, there were nine caution flags for 39 laps. Also, 15 lead changes among seven drivers, Jay. Uh, and uh, so that's what we have uh, with regard to this race. Do you want to go ahead and talk about the points? Well, a little bit there. You mentioned Justin Algar. we got 12 more minutes here in the Xfinity Series, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, talking about Justin Algar, you mentioned he went in, went in the stages is actually having a very good year. He's just not getting the wins. And unfortunately, this past weekend had a blend line rules violation. And for fans Mm -hmm. that don't know what that is or why it's important, and I can't think of who had it up on Twitter. We've seen some bad incidences of that um, going back. But around the bottom of the track, there is a white line around the bottom of the track. And at Talladega and Daytona, your super speedways, I know it's considered an out-of-bounds line. The other tracks still have it. And as you come off of pit road and come around through the turn, and it's going to be different for each track, but that solid line becomes a broken line. And you're supposed to stay below the line until you get to that broken line to blend up. So you're not blending up into the banking and in a corner. And Justin Algar clearly did because he came out right in front of Austin Sindrick. And we saw Sindrick go about 10, 20 yards further down to where that line was broken. And although it wasn't a factor in Justin affecting anybody else while coming up, that is the rule. And the reason you have that is we've seen that in the past. Somebody come up a car running the mm-hmm. bottom in the corner, can't see that car. And the, the closing speed, you got nowhere to go. And, I mean, really – rear-ended them hard Um, so again there's a reason for the yeah there's a reason for these rules although there was no factor when Algar did it it was still not uh, where he was supposed to and he had to come down pit road which is what set him back and not able to finish that race where he was running up front battling for the win exactly so uh, it was unfortunate for Justin Algar because he had a good race going Uh, but uh, again uh, that's what champions. Uh, this, this, and it's it's not really a ding to to uh, Justin Algauer because we know he's a good driver, but the competition is so so tight that it really pushes these drivers to do to not make mistakes if at all possible because every little mistake that is made uh, can have a significant impact on the overall team performance. It certainly can. And there again, I like to see NASCAR being fair about it. You know, again, 
top driver, contender for that race, contender for the championship, didn't matter to them. It was a rules violation. They penalized them for it. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's go ahead and hit the uh, uh, points report. All right. Got Chase Briscoe at the top, uh, up by 24 points thanks to five wins and sitting on 28 playoff points. Second in points now, Austin Sendrick with three wins, 24 points back. Got three wins, excuse me, and 20 playoff points. Noah Gregson had a pair of victories. He's 48 points back overall, but has 18 playoff wins. Fourth in uh, points is Ross Chastain, 77 back. And then Justin Haley, who does have a win uh, at 141 points back, has six playoff points. Uh, six, there sits Justin Algar. Doesn't have any wins yet at 146 back, but does have seven playoff points. Those will come into play with the reseeding. Seventh is Harrison Burton. Also has a pair of wins, 155 back, but 10 playoff points. Then you got Michael Annette and Brandon Jones, Riley Herbst as eighth, ninth, and tenth. Brandon Jones, the best one out of them, the fact that he does have a win and seven playoff points to carry him forward. The other two got to watch their points as they get closer to this cut line. 11th and 12th right now, Ryan Sieg and Brandon Brown uh, sit there at three minus 316 and minus 343. And looking just outside the cut line, I know I talked about him a little bit earlier. 13th is Jeremy Clements at minus 374. So he is 29 points behind the cut line. Myatt Schneider, uh, this weekend running in the number 93. I believe I heard him say he wasn't going to be back in the Richard Childress car until the playoffs, which be a factor if he can make it in. He's at minus 381, so 38 points back. He wants to get into the playoffs and have the chance with that RCR team to, to make a run in the playoffs. Going to need to either pick up a victory or it'll be him against Brandon Brown picking up the, those 30-some points in the next few races. Yeah, I think it's also impressive, Jay. Uh, you've got a driver in 15th place there, only 10 races. He's six races short of everybody who's ahead of him and even a couple drivers that are behind him. Um, and yet he's able to be in that 15th place spot is Anthony Alfredo driving in an RCR number 21. Uh, so he's had some impressive runs and uh, running fewer races than some of these other guys that are above and below him. Well, and that tells you where the RCR machine is at in the Xfinity Series because that is the one that's splitting that 21 RCR machine with Myatt Schneider, uh, Anthony Alfredo. I think he's made a couple other starts with some other teams, but primarily with RCR. The other one we've mentioned, um, the number eight, Jeb Burton drove this past weekend. But as you pointed out, Daniel Hemrick is currently 17th in points with only 10 races as well. That's true. That's true. So uh, a couple of drivers having really good performances, even though they're not driving full-time in this series, uh, and certainly worthy of those shout-outs. This is another – I think the um, uh, rookie competition is going to continue to get tighter here, uh, especially between Harrison Burton and Raleigh Erbst. I've really been impressed impressed with some of the things that we've seen from Riley. Uh, Even most recently, it seems like he's really starting to come on strong. He has been. Again, unfortunately had a a wrecker that took him out this past weekend, but um, whoops, 
Uh, you know, Harrison Burton got the attention early on picking up those two wins. Um, I don't know if they haven't quite been on the same pace. I mean, he's still up there uh, contending, but we haven't seen him quite as good. And I don't know if it's a, a fall off on their part or, again, the other teams that maybe weren't up to par to start the season are now and firing on all cylinders now as we head into the playoffs. So either way, this is when you want to be running good. Um, if Harrison Burton's still running the same, that means everybody else got better. And if he's slacking or the team's falling off, they need to get it righted and righted quick. <laughs> exactly right. Now, I mentioned the Truck Series race at Kansas this weekend. I only mentioned one of those races. There's another race for that Truck Series on Saturday. Uh, they'll be racing at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time at Kansas. Again, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, but later that day, you're going to see the Xfinity Series on track at Kansas Speedway, and that race is going to be televised on NBC Sports Network. So, again, at 5 o'clock, it should be 5 o'clock Eastern time for the Xfinity Series at Kansas this Saturday, July the 25th. So definitely keep your eyes on that uh, for this weekend as well. So um, anything else you want to make sure we mention here, Jay? Yeah, real quick, as we talked about the top three anyway, having multiple wins along with Harrison Burton a little further down the line. Um, I know Chase Briscoe has made the statement he feels like he needed eight wins to prove he belonged with the big four last year, or the big three, I'm sorry, from last year. Uh, but now it's him, Sindrick, and Noah Gregson, another one. Got those two wins early on, still running good, having some issues uh, on the track, not quite as competitive as far as contending for the wins. But as they pile up those playoff points, when I mentioned those, Chase Briscoe at 28, Austin Sindrick at 20, and Noah Gregson at 18, the next best is mm-hmm. Harrison Burton at 10. So when we get into the playoffs, again, even if they have that hiccup or a bad race for whatever the reason, those playoff points become very, very valuable. Yes, they do. That would put Burton uh, right up into fourth place. Uh, with the reseeding that takes place with the Xfinity Series playoffs. So, uh, you know, it is going to start winding down here, and uh, these next races that are coming up are going to be so, so important uh, for a lot of these drivers because uh, they're running out of time in order to make the playoffs. So, uh, as we say every year, that intensity starts to pick up about this time of the year uh, for these drivers because they're running out of time. So uh, that'll make the racing a lot of fun to watch. A couple of drivers off the top of my head, and I kind of mentioned Noah Gregson, maybe a little bit of Harrison Burton, but also on the cup side. um, Justin Algar maybe falls into that. I know they mentioned it a little bit. You got to watch where the intensity picks up that you don't get too over aggressive and overdrive or, you know, make mistakes under the pressure either. You know, and that's where you mentioned Justin Algar. We don't see mistakes out of him very often. Uh, we did this weekend. Mm-hmm. Again, hopefully that'll be put behind him. Um, without having the win this year and kind of having a rough season, though, he does have seven playoff points, which would put him fifth in the seedings, uh, tied with Brandon Jones, who has a win. You know, Justin doesn't have a win, has built his seven just off of stage wins. So that's something to look at of as the intensity and the pressure builds, though, you got to be able to perform still under the pressure and not give points or races away or the championship. 
Exactly right. Uh, we're, we've got time for maybe a minute here of Austin Sindrick's uh, post-race comments after winning uh, in the Xfinity Series. So let's hear what he had to say real quick. All right. Uh, it looks like we have Austin back hiding behind uh, the sunglasses mask and hat there. <laughs> Austin, uh, we're going to open up the questions here. We have Dustin Long going first. Yeah, Austin, um, obviously uh, maybe not the way you want to win a race, but it's still a win. How did you find out? And just kind of uh, you've got a three-race winning streak now. Yeah, obviously great to be able to get the money line for Mustang and Victory Lane, no matter how it happens. Uh, great points day. Uh, for that, uh, I honestly just got out of the holler getting changed back into my street clothes and uh, the 54 and everyone and their brothers surrounding the scale. So, uh, obviously, that's never a good time for those guys. And I know they race hard and work hard. Uh, we want to win it on track. I felt like we had a shot to do that today and maybe um, didn't execute as well as we should have, and that, that's what kept us out. But uh, fast race cars and being in position, and uh, that's, that's worked out. What? Okay. So that's what Austin Sindrick had to say. He kind of got tipped off when he saw the car in the expect, still in the inspection line. Uh, but uh, a win's a win, Jay. Well, and when he started that interview, I forgot thinking about it, that his post-race would have been kind of on the fly as he wasn't necessarily expecting it. So, uh, yeah, good job <laughs> by, by him of, uh, you know, and, and it's one of those of it, you're humble and you appreciate it. You know that there's certain races you could have won, you didn't. So this one he got, you know, he knows he said that they had a couple of things off, mistakes they made. But what goes around comes around. Generally, it works itself out and evens out. Absolutely. Moving on to our NASCAR Cup Series, the 24th Annual O'Reilly Auto Parts 500. Uh, the race winner was Austin Dillon, age 30, from the number three Bass Pro Shops Tracker Off-Road Chevrolet. Uh, with his uh, grandpa teen owner, uh, Richard Childress, racing, and his crew chief, Justin Alexander. Uh, it was his third victory in 247 NASCAR Cup Series races, his first victory and his fifth top ten finish this season, and his first victory and second top ten finish in 15 races at Texas Motor Speedway. Tyler Ruddick, the highest finishing rookie, posted a second-place finish uh, and the first top ten finish in his series track debut at Texas Motor Speedway. It was his sixth top ten finish this year. Joey Logano in third, posting his 13th top ten finish in 24 races at Texas. Uh, Tyler, as I mentioned, was the highest finishing rookie. It's the first time since 2011 at Talladega Super Speedway when Clint Boyer and Jeff Burton finished 1-2 for Richard Childress Racing. Uh, this was the first time since then that that organization had another 1-2 finish this week at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, it's also Richard Childress Racing's 109th NASCAR Cup Series victory. So uh, some interesting stats there. There certainly is. Uh, starting with, I guess, the, the, your race winner, uh, Austin Dillon. Um, third victory now in, in 247 starts. We've looked at as a whole, and it'll, it'll include a couple of the other stats you mentioned there. Richard Childress Racing, we said they were kind of on the decline needed something to turn their ship right. And I know Andy Petrie coming over there has been working with them the past couple of years. 
the Chevrolet this year has obviously been a, a little bit more on point or they're dealing with it better than they had in the past uh, years. So that kind of adds to it. But I think part of it was Tyler Reddick coming on board. And I know to end the last year <laughs> and coming great. into this year, talking about that of Daniel Hemrick being taken out of that ride after only one season, his rookie year, but and bringing Tyler Reddick in. But I think we're starting to see the results of that. Obviously, Tyler Rookie finishing second and in contention for Rookie of the Year. I know we've talked about that quite a bit uh, outside of the, the radio show, but we'll have to see how that plays out. Cole Custer having the win. Tyler Reddick doesn't yet, but has been up there and battling and certainly could, you know. So I think RCR is heading in a, in a great direction. We mentioned there that Clint Boyer and Jeff Burton, the last time since a 1-2 finish for RCR back in 2011. So i like to see that. Again, I always like to see uh, all the teams be as competitive as they can be, and we haven't seen that necessarily out of RCR in the, in the last couple of years. We saw Roush Fenway Racing go through it. They're kind of back on the build as well. So just add some more excitement. It certainly does, uh, and and I'm really happy for our CR getting that one-two finish. Uh, happy for Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. I saw a picture of Austin today uh, holding his son, Ace, and uh, the caption was uh, something to the effect of the very first thing he did when he got home was to go uh, hold the baby. So really cool to see him uh, uh, developing into a father uh, with the birth of his son. Uh, now, <clears throat> moving down the list here, we've got Joey Logano in third place. Kyle Bush finished fourth. Uh, we were thinking he had finished a little higher up there. Uh, Kevin Harvick was the fifth-place finisher. Uh, and then rounding out the next five who will round out the top ten are Eric Jones in sixth, Ryan Blaney in seventh, Kurt Busch finished eighth, Brad Keselowski in ninth, and Eric Almarola, who really had a good early start to the race, came home with a top ten finish. A couple of things look at, looking at there. Uh, again, Kevin Harvick obviously being a contender, uh, as he is week in, week out. Eric Almarola, unfortunately, again, he had the streak of top fives. It's now into the top tens, though, but still finishing top ten, but not where he was running throughout the day. And I know, again, a little bit of – Pitch strategy and caution shuffled up out there at the end um, for him to get slid back just a little bit. The other one there I want to mention, and it seems like we have one or two in every series, talk about Joey Logano. Seemed to first four races, he had two wins out of the first four. You know, in your mind, you're already be like, oh, Joey's got a shot at the championship. You know, kind of went through a little bit of a lull, and I think we're starting to see him now as well as Penske all stepped up as Brad Keselowski picked up a couple of wins. Ryan Blaney got one. And Blaney's another one. I think started the season as maybe the strongest car, if not one of them. Went through a little bit of a lull. See him back running up front. So I think we got to watch out for these Team Penske cars. Yeah, yeah. That was there were some interesting strategies playing out at the end of that race. Uh, and I was calling for Kevin Harvick and uh, the guy that he was racing with. Can't remember who it is now. I think it was Logano. Uh, I was like, it was Logano, I thought they're yep. going to go, yeah, gas and go only. Uh, they didn't do it. They ended up taking tires, but the gas and go drivers were Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick, and they did end up winning the race. So uh, it was fun to kind of watch the different strategies playing out uh, throughout that event. But they they definitely had that winning winning uh, strategy in place. 
Uh, now, mentioned uh, Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney did win both the first two stages, uh, and again, just kind of fell short of winning that uh, uh, race. There were 10 caution flags for 45 laps, and also, get this, Jay, 29 lead changes among 12 drivers. So that was not a boring race to watch. Uh, as I mentioned, there were a lot of strategies, uh, pit strategies that were playing out there uh, with people short pitting and pitting on different rotations, and uh, that led to why there was so many different lead changes at that race. Well, and one thing that that's kind of weird, uh, as you mentioned, and I saw the recap today on Race Hub where they talked about that, uh, you know, Larry McReynolds and uh, Jamie McMurray, both too, when they come off, you mentioned Kevin Harvard, Joey Logano, both taking four tires. The the one thing with the two RCR cars, there was actually two different strategies there. Austin Dillon's team actually, I believe, took right side tires only. They took two tires. Oh, did he? Um, so I believe, I believe so. And that's what, in my mind, I'm like, and he he prevailed over Tyler Reddick, who didn't take any. But yet the ones that took four that we expected to actually be the ones up front couldn't quite catch up. And, again, strategy puts you in that position. You know, it's not necessarily that you steal a win. But those last two restarts that, that Austin Dillon went through, you got to give it oh, to him. I mean, that's restarts. one of those, even if you're yeah. in that position, you, he still earned it. They, I, I believe it because it was the uh, two and then the final overtime, two restarts there where he had to be on point, And he certainly was playing his teammate of Tyler Reddick on that last one, as well as Joey Logano, who is inside him. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler Reddick able to hold on and keep Joey at bay, but that is kind of what allowed then even the two tires of Austin Dillon to scoot away. But he did it on those restarts. you, you got to give it to him on those restarts. Yes, indeed. He had good restarts for sure. And, uh, you know, he, he, he definitely earned that victory. And like you say, it's a team effort. Uh, I'm sure the crew chief had a big part in the strategy and the way that that all played out. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it was really cool to see them have that one-two uh, finish. Uh, let's go ahead and hit the uh, points report, Jay. And then we'll listen to some post-race audio. All right, slide over to that one right now. I mentioned him again, just been solid all year long. Kevin Harvick is your points leader by 91 points. He does have four victories, so that helps. 22 playoff points. Ryan Blaney, with only one win, is currently second. As I mentioned, 91 points back, eight, only eight playoff points, though. Third is Brad Keselowski, two wins. 14 playoff points. Joey Logano in fourth has two wins as well as 14 playoff points. Then you have Chase Elliott, who has one win and 10 playoff points. Sixth place, tied with Harvick for the series lead, four wins, 23 playoff points, which is more than Harvick, but obviously a little bit more up and down of a season for Denny Hamlin in the number 11. Seventh spot with one win is Martin Truex seven playoff points. Then we get into some that don't have wins. Eric Almarola, he's 187 points out, does have two playoff points. Kurt Busch, uh, all one playoff point. And Kyle Busch is in 201 points out off the points lead, doesn't have any playoff points. Big surprise there. Uh, we'll talk about that as we, if we get a chance. 
11th through 16th, and this is where it's going to get interesting. You got Alex Bowman, Matt DiBenedetto, Clint Boyer. That's 11th through 13th. Uh, Alex does have one win and nine playoff points. DiBenedetto doesn't have any yet. Clint Boyer has two playoff points. Now, in 14th is where Austin Dillon sits right now with that one win, five playoff points. 15th is Jimmy Johnson, who has one playoff point. And 16th is William Byron, 296 points out. That's not really the factor down here. He has two playoff playoff points. 17th is Tyler Reddick, and he is, do some quick math here, 12 points behind William Byron for that cutoff spot, which actually, this is where I have to straighten myself out. William Byron is in 16th, but he is not the cutoff line at this point because Cole Custer, who's in 22nd, has a win to advance up. So right now the cutoff line is actually Jimmy Johnson at 427, William Byron is out by two points, and then Tyler Reddick out by 14, and Eric Jones out by 24. So it's really tight right there, and there's already one back there that has popped that bubble and pushed it to 15th, which is where Jimmy Johnson sits. Right now, Austin Dillon, a little bit to the inside of that, by one point above Johnson. If he falls back out, that means that bubble will actually go up to 14th because you'll have two from the outside of the top 16 moving in. So that playoff bubble there, like I said, it popped. <laughs> <laughs> it sure has. And uh, it's it's going to be fun uh, to continue watching, too. But Tyler Reddick came so close to winning uh, this weekend to join Cole Custer as rookies in the Cup Series playoffs, Jay. Uh, you don't hear that every day. And uh, I, I, I do think he's knocking on the door of getting a victory. So we'll have to see what plays out at Kansas Speedway, which is another 1.5-mile track. Not all 1.5s are alike, uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what these guys do at Kansas this weekend. Uh, now, I do have some post-race audio here. Again, I'm going to give you your choice this time, Jay. Uh, we've got the race winner, Austin Dillon, uh, second-place finisher, Tyler Reddick, third-place finisher, Joy Logano, or the race-winning crew chief, Justin Alexander. Uh, I also have some post-race audio here from Richard Childress, the team owner. So who would you like to hear from? Well, me personally, I heard from Justin Alexander on SiriusXM Radio at the post-race, and I know Austin Dillon, obviously the winner, got his airtime. So let's go to Tyler Reddick in, in his second place and where he feels he's at. Okay, now this is an eight-minute segment. We won't be able to listen to all of it, uh, but let's hear what Tyler has to say at least a few minutes, okay? Number eight, Cat Oil and Gas Chevrolet for Tyler Reddick. All right, Tyler, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. Okay, thank you for joining us. I know... um, as excited as I'm sure you are for an RCR victory, I, I know it's probably a little disappointing to come up a little bit short, but just take us through those last few restarts and kind of what was going through your mind there as, as the laps, um, you know, ticked off. Well, uh, it's one of those deals where it's risk versus reward, and, and for us, race against my teammate, and, um, you know, as much as it's my responsibility to win for this Cat Oil and Gas Chevrolet, um, I don't want to take a win opportunity away from either RCR car. So just trying to race as hard as I can without getting the three in a position where he lifts, slides up, 
makes me lift, and uh, the cars behind us have an opportunity there to win that race. So I just tried to do it um, as best I could, and I'm not going to lie, he just uh, he did a really good job in the restart zone of keeping me from getting into a rhythm, being able to work with AC and Kyle Busch behind me, who's, who's one of the best, and um, it just had me all jacked up, and Kyle couldn't really give me the pushes that, that he was wanting to give me for himself, but um, for me as well, to, to get up there and clear the three or battle with the three so you can have an opportunity at it, so. I uh, just got to continue to work on that. Um, you know, a lot of these restarts throughout the year, we've been uh, in, in mid-pack, and we haven't had that opportunity to, to play with that on the front row. And it's really hot and quick today, and it just came down to that launch, and that's something that I didn't do a great job of uh, there in the last couple of restarts. Okay, interesting that he did bring up those restarts. Uh, he, he said that uh, the same thing that we did, Austin Dillon had some amazing restarts there. Uh, so uh, he's identified a learning opportunity for himself. Yeah, there's key factors there. The fact that he did did acknowledge and respect what Austin Dillon did on his restarts. They mentioned, again, being a rookie, not being up in that position a whole lot. Uh, for himself so he had to learn and what what he did maybe not necessarily wrong but not good enough the other thing he mentioned which I hadn't thought about even watching the replay the fact that he did have Kyle Busch behind him who obviously is a great driver and and Mm -hmm. he's in on restarts pushing him and you know and I didn't see anything where sometimes that guy behind you then if they get that good restart give you the wrong kind of bump you get squirrely we didn't see that out of Tyler Reddick or Kyle Busch causing that so, but again, had Tyler Reddick maybe done something a little bit different, Kyle's push would have helped him and he'd have come out either victorious or maybe finished second to Kyle Busch, unfortunately. But um, all the things there that he just mentioned, I mean, so many things, like he said, in those last two restarts, you know, and I like mm-hmm. the fact that, that he was humble. He said, hey, I haven't been in that position a whole lot. I learned some things. I watched my teammate and I watched the guy, or, you know, felt or watched the guy behind me knowing what he's doing. So I think it was a great learning experience for Tyler Reddick. I think it was too, and he showed a great deal of maturity in in the decisions that he made in his way of thinking about all of that. Uh, he did talk about the risk versus reward uh, and uh, how important it is to think about that uh, when they're in those types of situations. I know we're going to have a discussion maybe a little bit later uh, where that's going to come into play uh, because that is a big, big learning opportunity for a lot of these younger drivers uh, to understand that bigger picture uh, and sometimes uh, not getting that win is a bigger learning opportunity for you than trying to force it. Well, and it certainly is. And I know we heard, uh, was it Chris Nackies when he was talking about running against the teammate and boss Kyle Busch, whether he raced him any differently. And he said, no, not really. But it really is. You know if it's your teammate. And, and we heard Tyler Reddick say that, mm-hmm. you know, he wants the best finish for RCR cars. So, yeah, he mm-hmm. could have probably been more, a little more aggressive had it not been a teammate, had Kyle Busch, say, been on the outside of him. We might have seen a little bit different from him. But the fact that he is aware of it, and I think Christian Eckes was too. He just didn't want to say it. Mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, because you always want to say you gave it your all no matter who you were racing. But um, I'm sure it does come into play. But you, especially, you know, for these young guys that are hungry, I think if push came to shove, really, they'd take the win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, now, I do want to mention before uh, we get to the top of the hour here, uh, the action, the Cup Series is racing on Thursday night. No race on Sunday this week. Uh, the Cup Series is racing Thursday night at Kansas Speedway, and that race will be televised on NBC Sports Network at 6.30, I'm sorry, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, uh, again, uh, make sure you mark your calendars for that cup race on Thursday night. Uh, and, again, you get a free Sunday, no racing on Sunday uh, this week. And because of that, I'm going to mention it a second time here, um, we are not going to be have the radio show on Thursday night. Jay and I are going to put together a podcast earlier in the day, and then we will publish that podcast sometime in the afternoon uh, with our preview of that Cup Series race on Thursday night. So uh, just a heads up in that regard. So anything else that you want to mention, Jay, before we move on to our hot topics? No, I don't think so. I think everything else I got will pertain to hot topics as we get into that. Okay. Uh, Well, we're coming up here on the top of the hour, and that means it is almost time here for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, joining us uh, for the show tonight, we've got a couple of our Fan for Racing crew members and our co-host on board, uh, so Andy Lasky, as co-host, we're going to introduce you first. Welcome to the show. Well, as always, uh, fun to be here. Thankful to be here. And uh, how's everyone doing? We're doing all right. Uh, glad to have you on board here tonight. Also joining us is uh, another fan for racing crew member, uh, Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show. Hello. Okay, the big hey-o from Mike Orzel. Uh, so really looking forward to tonight's conversation. Uh, and, Andy, we're going to start with you as our co-host of Hot Topics. Well, I'm just going to get it started big because we were in Texas this weekend. Um, we can't ignore what the double zero card did on Sunday. Uh, certainly, to me, <laughs> one of the biggest topics, certainly um, – from yesterday and, and a big topic in uh, discussion today. So really excited to see what everyone has to say about that. Okay. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you on this one. I know you had some comments uh, r- during the race. As soon as that happened, you had some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if – I'm sure everyone saw Brad Keselowski's take on it as well um, with regard to the promotion demotion system. Um, and I did a little bit of, uh, of research on Quinn Hoff as far as his back uh, backstory and whatnot. Um, Quinn Hoff ran uh, most of the season last year with Star, uh, with, I'm sorry, with Spire Motorsports in the Cup Series. Um, and, you know, it's standard Spire Motorsports kind of results. The thing that's really notable about Quinn Hoff – Prior to that, uh, that fragmented season with Spire Motorsports, he has zero full-time Xfinity Series seasons, zero full-time Truck Series seasons, zero full-time ARCA Series seasons. And I think that's probably where Brad Keselowski is coming from, is you get these guys who have uh, some financial backing, whether it's either family money or some sort of sponsorship association, and they effectively can buy their way into the cup series because teams need money in order to function. Um, but it produces 
a result, like kind of like what we saw on Sunday, where you have a driver who doesn't have the track awareness that gets built up over those seasons of experience in the lower tier series. And now all of a sudden, not only are they on the same track as these multi-million dollar teams, but the actions that they take and the decisions that they make have implications that can gain or lose millions of dollars for these teams and affect the outcome of the competition. It's doubtful that that Texas race would have finished remotely the same way uh, if Quinn Howe hadn't made the mistake that he did getting into the 95 and taking out the 21 car, which had been a top five car all day, trapping the 12, the 11, and a few of the other top five cars a lap down. Um, so I kind of see Brad Keselowski's point of developing some sort of a qualification system. Formula One has a similar system in which you have to have success in the lower tier series in order to qualify to even race in a Formula One race. NASCAR is the, the stock car equivalent of Formula One and that this is the top tier series in the discipline of racing. So perhaps that's something that they can look at is you have to have some sort of experience and success in the lower tier series to qualify to compete on Sundays with the top teams in the Cup Series. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts? A uh, little bit in the middle. Uh, first off, if, you, if you're to set some type of standard like that, if you have to have success in the lower tier series, we wouldn't have a seven-time champion that we do in Jimmy Johnson because he didn't exactly have a whole lot of ex- success in the Xfinity series. And we've seen it in the trucks. Maybe you are great in the trucks. They move up to Xfinity or Cup, and you don't have that same amount of success. That doesn't take away from your driver talent. It's just that the trucks fit you better. So, obviously, a mistake was made, and that is one, and I know they mentioned it, that you can't even necessarily call it a rookie mistake because it, it's something that any type of asphalt racing where you are doing pit stops is going to uh, – live green flag pit stops is going to come into play. And, and I know I listened. I saw the um, video that Quinn Huff did. You know, he said it was his mistake. A mirror – one of the mirrors had fallen off. There could have been spotter issues or whatever. It was a mistake, no doubt, and I'm sure he sincerely regrets it. But that's one of those. I don't know that he he doesn't have. I, can't, I wouldn't say he has lack of situational awareness when it comes to racing. How how much have we seen uh, him be an issue for anything throughout the season? When you talk about drivers that get mad because these other cars are in their way and not giving them the lane they want or this and that. Quinn Huff's name has never come up when it pertains to that, to the best of my recollection. So obviously he knows where his team is, where he's running at. This was just one of those, it happened to be a mistake. So I don't like the heaping on of him, uh, especially for a one-time incident. It was a bad one, no doubt. It definitely changed the outcome of that race, could have implications on the playoffs. understand all that. The second thing, though, is for Brad to say that maybe some people need to be demoted to another series. I personally would demote somebody to a lower series if they're out there intentionally wrecking other drivers, which he is guilty of. That's just my opinion. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I'm going to take it a little bit step further, and, and not really because uh, Mike already mentioned this. The fact that he has zero Xfinity Series starts and and just came into the Cup Series, I think that does have to have to be looked at because um, I, I think they need to have at least some Xfinity Series experience. 
whether or not they're successful doesn't really matter as much to me. But I think that that Xfinity Series experience is a critical part of advancing uh, into the Cup Series. And even then, it takes some time to make that adjustment. And we're seeing that with three great uh, Xfinity Series drivers, actually four great Xfinity Series drivers, and and their learning curve coming into the Cup Series uh, is is pretty steep. So I, I do think that it's important that these guys get some Xfinity Series experience before they just jump into uh, a Cup Series car. Uh, other than that, um, again, it doesn't matter to me whether or not they're successful as much as getting that seat time uh, somewhere other than the Cup Series uh, before they get out there and, and and something happens. Jay's right. He hasn't had a lot of incidents, but he has, and we don't hear his name come up in, in uh, a lot of bonehead kind of things, but he has had some incidents on the track, and there's a reason why he's not up there competing with the likes of uh, 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 Christopher Bell or Cole Custer or Tyler Reddick or John Hunter Nemechek. It's because he doesn't have the same kind of experience that they have. So it's really unfair to put him in that rookie category with those guys especially because they have so much more uh, foundation to their experience than what Quinn Huff has. So I think that foundation is really, really important, and he's missing that. And, and I think it did show uh, probably to a greater degree this weekend. Uh, but Quinn Huff has had his issues uh, with uh, racing in the Cup Series before this. We just haven't. It hasn't been uh, under the microscope like you might see some other things. So, Andy, I'm curious to know. You, oh, let me let me address before I move on the idea of demoting uh, drivers or promoting drivers. That's not a bad idea, but I, I still kind of go back to the idea that the foundation is the most important part of it. Um, I really think that the seat time in the Xfinity Series is is a really critical part uh, that drivers need to have before they can move up. And, uh, you know, I think about uh, some of the comments that have been made about Garrett Smithley and some of those guys uh, racing in the Cup Series. Uh, Those are guys that I think some of these veterans would love to see not get an opportunity to race in the Cup Series because they don't feel that they have enough experience. But I have to disagree uh, to some degree because some of those guys have had a lot of Cup experience in uh, cars that aren't at the top of the line, so to say, Uh, and they're not in top-of-the-line equipment in the Cup Series either. So those guys are racing their hearts out. Uh, I would hate to see a driver like Garrett Smithley or or some of these other guys that aren't in the best equipment get uh, demoted. Uh, I, th- I think it would not be healthy for the sport to demote a team uh, in that Cup Series uh, down to a lower tier series. So, Andy, I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I'll start out with the dem- the demotion topic. Um, I'm not sure I totally agree with that either, um, but I do think you know, in a scenario like this, you know, he needs to be educated because it was um, a complete lack of situational awareness, Um, you know, and, and, you know, honestly, there's another 
podcasts I listen to with spotters and the double zero cars name comes up a lot. So, I mean, honestly, he is the subject of, um, mm-hmm. doing, doing some less than stellar things on the racetrack on a fairly consistent basis. This isn't a one-time deal. This is a consistent theme. And when it becomes a consistent theme, that's when you, you have to take a look at it and say, you know, something, something needs to change here. Um, you know, this is a this is a prime example of, you know, I don't know the financial status of what he brings to that team, but it is my understanding that money was brought to the team. That's why he's in the seat. We sure know that it's not from previous talent or success in other divisions. So, you know, and, and that kind of just, uh, you know, we live in a day and age, unfortunately, where, you know, talent isn't always rewarded, but money is rewarded because the teams need the money. So, um, I don't want to say to, that he can't drive a race car, but I think it's fair to say that based on previous statistics from the races he's run in previous divisions, he would not be in a cup car, period. So, um, you know, and that showed up on the track yesterday. And, you know, whether or not the side mirror broke, there is a rear view mirror and there's a spotter. And <laughs> I've listened to enough scanners over the years to know that if you're a slow car and you're running the middle of the track and you got leaders coming, the spotter is probably telling you they're coming five or 10 car lengths back. So why they thought it was okay to cut hard left from the third lane down to pit road, we'll never know, but it was 1000% the wrong thing to do. And I know he's getting a lot of um, backlash for it, including me right now, but I mean, there are some things that can be considered rookie mistakes, and there are some things that just, just plain should not happen. So um, I can tell you right now, I'm going to try to relate it to me and Mike's business, but you don't just go from a small single-engine airplane to a jet overnight, which is kind of what I like in what he's done. He's gone from essentially late models straight to the Cup Series practically, and, and that's really starting to show up. And I will also say, too, in our business, if you don't perform, you lose your job. So... Um, you know, I don't know what needs to happen here, but it, I mean, it's to the point, honestly, of being serious enough where NASCAR has said they will step in and they will address it because that kind of stuff just plain cannot continue moving forward. Okay. Uh, it's time for our, our uh, second round here. So, Mike, any uh, follow-up thoughts? Well, you know, we kind of got to keep in mind the notion of promoting demoting drivers is somewhat uh, – you know, imaginary at this point, just for lack of willing entries in the cup series, um, the field limit is 40. And I think there's maybe what half a dozen races or so where 40 cars show up. Um, so you're looking at, if we're going to say we're going to demote drivers who can't race in the cup series because of experience or qualifications. Uh, now you're looking at, are we going, that is that going to mean that we're going to be reducing the field of cars that are on the track uh, for the cup series race? Um, and that obviously has further implications as far as sponsorship, TV money, and all that stuff. So it's not so much, it's, it's not just as simple as saying, hey, this one driver doesn't have the experience, he's not qualified for cup, because then the immediate question is, well, who do you replace him with? Um, a lot of the drivers in the Xfinity series have other contractual obligations where they may not be available to just immediately jump up and run a full-time cup series schedule for whatever reason. Um, or maybe, you know, what, so depending on what that minimum requirement is, there may not be a qualified driver that meets the minimum requirements and also fits with what that team is looking for, for whatever the qualifications that they're looking for to fill the seat. So, you know, if we can, if we want to talk about, 
um, a promotion demotion system to get into the Cup Series, we also have to consider what that means for the Cup Series field as a whole, not just for the individual drivers that we want to uh, either bring into or remove from the series for performance reasons. Jay? I, I do agree with the, there maybe being a, a set number as far as you must have X number of starts, say, in the Xfinity or ARCA, uh, something that is similar, like I said, that does involve green flag pit stops, so you get all the experience that you're going to have at the NASCAR's top level. Um, the the whole money buying your way on, we've seen drivers that have more money that have bought their way into top rides. So that doesn't really become a factor. They just bought into a better ride, so they're up front running versus in the back. Uh, and like Mike said, and in my mind, as, as you guys were talking, a lot of this is, in this case, I know Brad Keselowski is the one that, that brought this up of, of this and got the social media going, but fans as a whole, I look at it, they didn't like it when it got cut down to 40 cars. They didn't like it when teams were doing start and park in order to save up money so they could run an entire race. They don't like it when these drivers are out there running and in the way of their favorite driver. And I don't even say leader. I say their favorite driver. But yet then if their driver is running second, they're like, well, if there were more cars out there, they'd have to work their way through traffic and show some talent and working through lap traffic. You can't have it every way. Uh, you know, and I think this definitely needs to be addressed. NASCAR said they're going to talk to them. Uh, other drivers can talk to them and say, hey, some of the things you're doing, you know, just like when it comes to racing up front. And another thing that that popped into my head of when we, Sharon and I talked about Tyler Reddick, in this case, he did okay with it, but we've seen drivers that the first chance they get to start on the front row, spin their tires, miss a shift. I remember Jeff Gordon missing a shift, you know, uh, at Pocono mm-hmm. and causing some problems at the start of a field. And I think that was in his second or third or fourth year. He was already an experienced driver. Mistakes happen, you know, and, and yeah, this one was – big and for whatever reason was highly addressed. I don't know why, but uh, I guess with the closer we are to the playoffs, I don't know. But we've seen veterans make mistakes, like I said. So, yes, it needs to be addressed, and there are a couple of little things, like you say, a mandatory X number of starts, just like they do for track size. I know you have to uh, to show you can handle your, your car on a particular track size before you can move, um, run short track versus intermediate versus super speedways. So I wouldn't be against them doing something to that effect, but the whole just you're not performing or whatever and booting them out or vice versa. And again, you can't just say pick a guy from the Xfinity. Say, okay, you're moving up. We're going to put you got to take one of these rides though. <laughs> again, they're they're in that, those cars for a reason, you know, and waiting on a top ride. You know, like Mike was saying of okay, they say Quinn's got to come out. Who's going to come in? Drivers that know they got the talent or have another opportunity aren't going to take a and I hate to, to discredit the team, but a backmarker team, an underfunded team that, you know, the best capability is 20th place unless they catch a break and, you know, strategy or whatever. So drivers aren't going to, no driver, top driver is going to take that ride. So you're limited on that as far as which drivers will even take that ride just to get their name out there. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. You guys all bring up really great points. I, again, I, I, and you said it too, Jay, I, I think they've got to have some time in at least the Xfinity Series. What that amount of time is, I'll leave that up to NASCAR to determine. But uh, I don't think anybody should jump from late models into the Cup Series. Uh, I don't care how much money they have. 
uh, I think they presented uh, a little bit of a risk to themselves and to the rest of the uh, uh, race teams that are on the track. So, and and this is a good example of that. So, uh, some seat time in the Xfinity Series would benefit him a great deal. Uh, maybe a year. Maybe you make it a year requirement, so you're not moving somebody in the middle of a season. Uh, you've got to race at least a year in that series. So I don't know what it is, but uh, they need to, to really look at that seriously. Andy? Yeah, I think, you know, Jamie McMurray said it best tonight on Race Hub um, earlier. You know, it's not it's not the fact that he made a mistake. It's just that, well, he did. It was a huge one, but it, it's it's the complete lack of regard and awareness for the leaders that really got people's attention you know, making a rookie mistake is to, like Jay said, if you miss a shift or if you, you know, don't run the correct lap time to, to help your team with two mileage, there's there's a big difference between rookie mistakes and making that kind of a mistake. I mean, that is just, that's a complete lack of awareness. There's no other way to put it than just that. So um, that's a situation that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I, I look at that as being vastly different than making a mistake you know, based off inexperience, which, you know, this is this is bigger than that for sure. Well, and, and I'm going to follow up with one other thing. There has to be – that all of that can't be on Quinn Huff because – and somebody mentioned it earlier. He's got a spotter that's supposed to be advising him and a crew chief that's supposed to be advising him and telling him well in advance that he should be coming in. So, yeah, it's it's hard to say why I wasn't listening to the radio. I don't know what their communication was, but there has to be some earnest on both of those guys as well uh in in advising their driver about what's happening on the track. So, uh something definitely went wrong there, but I don't think it should all be on necessarily Quinn Huff. I think some of the other team members there might have some responsibility in that as well. Oh, for sure. I would I would 100% put some blame on the spotter on that deal, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's move on to our next topic, uh, and uh, Mike, we'll go to you for that. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the announcement today, I think it was Steve Phelps uh, who came out and said that they're going to be doing the Daytona Road course. That was already announced but there will be no practice and no qualifying for that. Um, so the first laps that the, uh, the Cup Series drivers are going to have, uh, I think the only current Cup Series driver who's even driven on that configuration is Kyle Busch. Um, so their first laps ever on that track are going to be under green flag race conditions. Um, and that's, uh, that sounds like it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Jay? Yeah, uh, I think there's a couple because I think not necessarily in a stock car, but Jimmy Johnson because he's run the Rolex 24 as well. I know when they were on race hub because they were trying to encourage Jamie McMurray since he did have the experience um, to get out there as he might be be able to take take advantage of that. But it's one of those. I mean, it's no different, I guess, than than any any of the others. Yeah, we've been to these tracks before, but everybody is pretty much in the same boat. Kyle may, Kyle, Jimmy Johnson may have a little bit of track time, but it's not in a stock car. So everybody's in the same boat essentially. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. We'll have to wait and see um, if that holds true. I know right now it's uh, likely not to have practice. I don't know if they said for sure a hundred percent, but 
I, th- I think it's one of those we've talked about it at other tracks, just the not having the practice makes for a little bit more interesting racing. Okay. Andy. I, I don't agree with this at all. I think what they did for the Indy road course for the Xfinity series was the smart thing to do. Give them a couple practices to get acclimated and figure things out. Um, we're not talking about a track that they've, they've been to going to for years. We're talking about a completely new course. Um, you know, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a dumpster fire. That's probably the best way I can put it. So I'll make sure I try to tune in and watch that because it's gonna be um, probably pretty ridiculous. Honestly, um, I don't blame the drivers for wanting and lobbying to get practice time. I think they should get it, um, even if maybe it's only an hour. You know, but at least at least get someone acclimated because you know, ninety percent of the field has zero experience on this and you know, going into the simulator or whatever is not the same thing as driving the actual course. So um, hopefully they'll rethink this and, and hopefully they'll give them at least a little on-track time. Yeah, I, I tend to lean that way too. There is a way to do this. Um, I was just trying to look at the schedule for Daytona when they're at that track um, because these guys um, – I don't know how tight the schedule is. The Cup Series, there's a Truck Series race the same day, so that could maybe prevent it. And I know they're trying to get down to one-day events for these guys, uh, but there could be an early morning uh, track time, something, uh, even if it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes on the track. That's something better than just putting them out there cold on that track for the first time. They need to have a little bit of time, I think, uh, out there. Jay's got a point. Everybody's starting from the same place. Everybody's dealing with the same situation. But if I was a driver, (laughs) I don't think I would like kind of starting out the race on the first lap on a track that I've never been on. Uh, So I can appreciate where they're coming from, and I think they deserve to get some time on that track uh, before they're out there racing it. So I I, agree. I tend to lean toward uh, Andy's side on this one. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Andy as well. I get Jay's point about everyone being in the same boat, but this isn't like if they had just gone up to Watkins Glen and were do, going back to a racetrack that maybe they haven't been to in a year. This is a completely new racetrack that, to my knowledge, no Cup Series car has ever raced on at least not anywhere near recent history to the point where there's any sort of applicable notes as far as setup goes as far as driving technique goes anything like that if you remember back to the first uh, weekend with the charlotte roval they had an entire weekend worth of practice sessions and qualifying and we were seeing just brutal crashes hard hard crashes um, from guys trying to find the limits of the racetrack exceeding those limits or doing something that they thought was well within the limits and it just didn't work out for them. Uh, I'm not saying they necessarily need to do a full-on normal practice model of show up on Friday, unload practice and whatnot, but at the very least, open up the track and give these teams a few opportunities to go out there and do a test session or something in order to get the cars on the track and uh, and get the a little bit of feedback and notes on how to handle a stock car on this course. Maybe not so much from a, a racing quality standpoint, but if nothing else, in the interest of safety, uh, so these drivers aren't going out there and having the kind of hard crashes that we saw during the initial practices for the Charlotte Roval. Yeah, Jay, you had follow up. 
Well, I'm sure as a driver, I would certainly be lobbying for some time. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, whether or not that that's capable, you know, with the logistics and the schedule and what NASCAR is trying to do and being limited to the number of personnel as they stay within the uh, COVID-19 restrictions, we'll have to see. Um, I, I certainly understand how why a driver would be, and if I were a driver, I certainly would be probably loud and clear. Um, like I said, from the fan perspective, I think it makes it for a little bit more interesting to see it. I, I don't know if I'd call it a dumpster fire yet, but uh, it certainly could be. Uh, then again, these are the top drivers at the top level, minus the few that have to be booted out, I guess. But So we'll see how they perform. You know, another option that these guys might consider is a test session for these guys prior to that race. Uh, you know, they could come in, you know, two or two weeks before and spend the day uh, on that track just trying to figure it out. Uh, I, I think that's even a better idea than a practice session, actually, is if they did a test session uh, prior to the actual event. Uh, I don't see the time really being available on the race day, honestly. Um I, I'm kind of advocating at this point, I think, for a test session over a practice session. Andy? Yeah, and I'll make this quick as we are coming down to that 1030 mark here at the show. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, I think, honestly, above all else, from a safety standpoint, they, they need to get on the track. Mike brought up a really good point about the Roval two years ago, which was a brand-new course, and the crashes and, and the mistakes that we saw were unprecedented, really, I think. Um, you know, and I think that you're going to see something very similar to that because if you don't know the course, you don't know the braking zones, you don't know how fast you can go into the corners. You, you, there's a lot of things you just don't know. And I think if you go in there cold turkey, it lends itself to be a dumpster fire, just like I said. So, I mean, it, you know, hopefully they get something going and, and hopefully NASCAR realizes that because it, you're potentially putting people's safety at risk, you know, because of, their lack of knowledge of a new course. Yeah, I agree. Uh, real quick, I am going to do the spiel here. Uh, for those that maybe haven't been on the show before, we do go off the air at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time Sharp. Uh, but we also continue recording the rest of the conversation so that uh, there's a little bit of overtime bonus material that becomes available for our podcast listeners. So uh, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do when the podcast becomes available, and I will put that out on Twitter, um, is to fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through, but uh, at any rate, uh, there's usually some of the liveliest part of the conversation happens in that bonus overtime material. So uh, not something you want to miss out on. Uh, make sure you just uh, fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the story. Okay. Uh, did everybody get a chance for follow-up there? I got I got one more thing, Sharon. Sure. With that, with that for, for this year, the rookies didn't get their extra practice time or – you know, especially at tracks they haven't necessarily been to before. Mm -hmm. So I know, I, you know, that NASCAR had to adapt to that. I think we have seen that, and maybe the performance hasn't been there, but we haven't seen any bad issues with that. So that's where I kind of look at, again, these guys are at the top level. They're there for a reason. Um, 
again, if they can squeeze it in, like you said, a test session outside the window of the race, rather than trying to squeeze it on, uh, on race day, probably the best time to do it if they can. But I also think that, you know, with that, just like Andy mentioned the Roval, yeah, there were some mistakes made, but everybody's in the same boat. And then again, it kind of adds for a shuffle up in the points, if that's the case. Okay. Uh, we'll let that be the last word. And Jay, you have the next topic. All right. Uh, let's see. Which one do I want to kick with here? Uh, let's go with Iowa Speedway. I know during the show, Sharon mentioned that the, the one race they were going to, or one weekend they had of racing was this past weekend. There is a rumor out there that the track is either going to be shut down or sold. The only response from the track itself was they did have a follow-up post of thank you for 15 years, which doesn't necessarily indicate anything concrete, but it kind of adds to the rumor. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andy, you want to start? Well, that's a nasty rumor. I hadn't heard that, and I certainly hope it's not true because Iowa Speedway puts on great racing, as we've seen for several years now, and I was truthfully hoping to see it part of the cup schedule one day. So um, just have to hope that that's not true. And, I mean, uh, Mike? Yeah, first I'm hearing from it as well. Um, we kind of saw this same kind of thing circulating around Chicagoland Speedway earlier this year, too, with the rumor mill saying that the property had been sold to developers who were going to knock the speedway down and make warehouses. And that turned out to not be true. So hopefully that's the same case with Iowa speedway. Um, if they are looking at, uh, at shutting the place down, obviously that kind of implies that they weren't able to secure a date for the 2021 cup series schedule. Um, and I'm sure this year has been financially hard for a speedway that probably doesn't have as deep of pockets as some of the other, uh, other tracks that are out there. Um, so I could see how having a, a season with substantially lower revenue, it might put a, a, a track in the position where now they do need to sell the property in order to pay their bills. And that's unfortunate because, like Andy said, Iowa Speedway does put on some of the better racing that we see. And it's a more of a unique track since we don't go there in the Cup Series. We don't get to see the Cup Series guys drive out there. Yeah, and, and Jay, you might remember this. When we were at Iowa Speedway, uh, I think it was as recent as last year, uh, we happened to have a, a, a conversation with the track president. Were you with me with that conversation? I was, if you recall. I actually sat down with him and did a separate article on it, uh, oh, reference the right. modified series coming. Um, so, yeah, yes, I did get to have right. a great conversation with him. Okay, but part of part of the conversation that we had with him is that uh, they were doing so many things around that track to build up the community, if you will, around that racetrack uh, and uh, kind of get the community more involved with what's happening around that racetrack and at that racetrack. So I, I really see the community getting full force behind Iowa Speedway. And um, we, we talked to the mayor. That's who we talked to. Um, and uh, then you followed up with the track president. Uh, but I also had a conversation with the mayor, and he was talking about how excited they were about Iowa Speedway and really getting the community uh, kind of full force behind that track. So I, I would find it hard to believe that they would uh, maybe sell that track, 
but we are in unusual circumstances, so what might have been a year ago may not be what it is today, uh, given today's environment. Uh, so I certainly get that point of it as well. But, uh, boy, they were they were so pumped up about Iowa Speedway and, and everything that they were doing to kind of build up around that uh, within the community that, that uh, I, I just find it hard to believe uh, that they would be in this position, uh, other than the fact that there a lot of companies and organizations are hurting with the COVID-19. So, Jay, I want to hear more from what you had to say about this as well. Well, a couple things. Uh, as you were talking about that, it certainly was uh, within the community, like you mentioned. The way the schedule came out, there was some concern about them having their race weekends two weekends apart in the middle of summer versus spread out. Um, but they made the best of it, and they were doing what they were calling, I believe it was called the Iowa Speed Weeks, you know, between the IndyCar, the ARCA, mm-hmm. and then the Xfinity and Trucks. Um, and I know they were doing different things at the track, whether it be movie night, you know, again, that kind of encouraging fans to come there for the week, the weekend prior, stay throughout the week, things to do at the track, uh, barbecues, the, like I said, I think they were doing one movie night or something, and then other things within the community, you know, that the mayor was involved in, so... It would be very unfortunate. The The curious thing that concerns me is that NASCAR is the one that now owns that track, which to me kind of indicates that they have no intention of putting it on the cup schedule. If they're the ones that are going to try and sell it, that they don't necessarily have the intentions of putting it on the cup schedule. And that's speculation on my part. Um, I know we have talked about that. If that's a place we would like to see the all-star get rotated to that the cup series doesn't run at. So the last thing I'd like to say is normally it gets targeted at me. I'm going to, I'm going to go the other way this time when it becomes the Jay Hoosman, the MJ cup series. And I'm going to go immediately to Andy as the track owner, Iowa and make sure they get on the schedule. Absolutely. That's a done deal. (laughs) Okay. Andy, your follow up. Well, Sharon, when you said you uh, spoke to the mayor, was that Jeff Burton or. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I, I've got his business card, but I can't recall his name right offhand. Uh, but it was uh, back behind the driver introductions. I, I happened to bump into him, and we got into a conversation about it. Uh, but he was just so involved in what was happening at Iowa Speedway and so supportive, and they had committees and groups and and people really looking at things that could be done at that Speedway. Uh, to help promote it and and encourage its growth and and uh, development, so I, I really I, I really thought it was a good thing. But go ahead, Andy. I'm kind of infringing on your spot. <laughs> no, that's fine. No worries. Um, I just think it would be a, a true shame to see it removed from from the top three series. Um, I'm a huge proponent of short tracks, and I'm a huge proponent of good racing, and that track is both. So. Um, certainly have, you know, greatly enjoyed the truck and Xfinity events there over the years and felt like it would make a great addition to the cup schedule one day. So it would be, um, it'd just be really disappointing if that doesn't come to fruition. Mike. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I've got firsthand experience with this one, uh, with, uh, the Mississippi autocross club, just because you have a local community um, that's involved and wants you there and you have a great site, that doesn't necessarily mean success and you're going to get the kind of events that you want. 
there's a lot of other factors that go in there, whether it's a sanctioning body that maybe doesn't want to use the facility that you know in your heart is phenomenal, or potentially you have an outside influence, one of those not-in-my-backyard types who really doesn't want you there, and they don't care what you bring to the community. They just don't want you there. Um, so there's a lot of other factors that go into play, probably far more than we would ever know for a place like Iowa Speedway. And unfortunately, just having local support, even local leadership support, may not necessarily always be what it takes to keep a facility like that viable. Yeah, I know, Jay, you, we've talked about this, too. One of the things that we really like about Iowa Speedway is its accessibility. It's so accessible from Route 80 uh, and and uh, so easy uh, to get in and out of that racetrack. It's just uh, mind-boggling that they, they would think about closing it. I, I hope that it is the same situation in Chicagoland and that uh, it's just a lot of talk and and uh, not going to happen because it would be a shame with the great racing that takes place there, uh, the accessibility of the racetrack, the support that they have. Uh, those are all great things. And I hear what you're saying, Mike. Um, sometimes it doesn't matter, all of those things, if the financials get involved and and uh, it just can't be supported financially, That that's a whole different ball game. But, uh, Jay, you, we'll give you your follow-up, and then we'll move on. It would be extremely sad for me, again, being up in the, the Minnesota area, um, one of those of, say, for my parents right now, one of the closest tracks for them to go to. It's a little bit closer than Michigan Speedway. And, and such a great facility, as well as uh, track president uh, David Hyatt. Like I said, I got to sit down and talk mm-hmm. with him. Um, was one of those, as Sharon, you know, we've talked about this, you build relationships he actually told me, and I wasn't able to include this in the article, because they were scheduled to have the Wheel and Modified series, which was going to be the first time they had come that far west as they were expanding, that Iowa was going to be a part of that. And the fact that you know he had shared that with me, but I couldn't put it in the article because they hadn't made the announcement yet. Um, mm-hmm. But the stuff he was involved with, like you said, with the community of doing that Iowa uh, Speed Weeks, and also you know he was working at what we call a track alliance, and it didn't matter that it was dirt track racing. The tracks within the area working together as a team for racing, period. You know, schedule, we got this scheduled. We're not going to run this weekend. When you're running this, we'll help promote you. Have some of the, the NASCAR guys or the Iowa Speedway out at the local dirt track and vice versa. I mean, just the, the things that they were working on and building in that whole area in the state of Iowa um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just amazing. You don't see that a whole lot. So it would be extremely sad. Uh, unfortunately, we have seen it with some tracks um, that they have gone by the wayside. I'm with all of you. I, I hate to see it happen to this track. Okay. Uh, time to move on to our next topic. Uh, Andy, what's on your list? Oh, boy, another another dinger here. But uh, Noah Gregson, is it just hard racing or is it something else, guys? I was waiting else, for that one. I was waiting for that one. Mike, we'll let you go first on this one. Well, I mean, I, uh, there there might be some documentation of my position on this. Um, we've talked about it at length in the chat and uh, before on this show. At some point, individual incidents become a pattern. And if you look at each individual incident that Noah Gregson has been involved in, I think it's 12 out of the 16 races he's had some sort of on-track altercation, Almost all of them 
individually you can look and say, yeah, maybe that was just, that was just a racing deal. It's just hard racing kind of a thing. But when you have 75% of the races completed thus far involving an on-track incident, that's a pattern you just can't ignore. And there's one common denominator behind all of them, and that's Noah Gregson. Okay. Uh, Jay. Well, not only is there an article there uh, that that talks about that, but uh, I believe came out earlier this afternoon. Uh, hopefully, is on his timeline, on mine. I know on Fan for Racing uh, homepage. The one thing I look at is, and I know this is kind of a touchy subject when it comes to that, but a somebody in the booth that is involved in the racing, such as team owner Dale Earnhardt Jr., and he talked about it, you know, and. I see it a little bit different than how Kyle Busch did when he talked about his drivers in the team that were driving for his team. You know, he kind of implied, Hey, these drivers are going to take care of that themselves. Almost like he was saying, I'm not going to have to take care of it because these drivers are going to let him know, you know? So he Mm -hmm. sees it. Maybe he has talked to, talked to Noah Gregson about it and they've had discussions. I'm sure they have because one of them involved a teammate. So I'm sure it was talked about in a team meeting. But I think, I think junior kind of put it of, you know, these drivers, you know, look out, amongst themselves in, in certain cases, you know, we've got to be taught a lesson one way or another. And I know that, that Mike references it too of, you know, that history, um, we could see it repeated that Noah's going to have to sit for, for a time period if it comes to that to maybe reevaluate that. Uh, I know when I watched the cup series race, there was a couple of spots and one of them that comes to mind was Denny Hamlin and Alex Bowman. Uh, Hamlin got loose underneath them, slid up, took out Alex Bowman with him when, when they hit the wall racing incident. They got too close. The air shifted, you know, you lose the car. I've seen where several of those, that's what I feel happened with Noah Gregson. However, like Mike said, it's been a repeated thing. And then you got to question whether or not that driver is capable of handling his car when it gets loose like that, you know, and we've seen, like I said, I saw it happen with Denny Hamlin. Okay, you don't see it on a weekly basis or every other week thing. Um, So that does maybe come into then maybe a little bit of coaching or changing your driving style. If you can't handle the car on the bottom and a car gets by you, you got to change your line or get better at handling your car. You know, so there's a lot of things that come into play. Uh, I'm not ready to label it as he's he's over aggressive or to the point of maybe needing to lose his ride. I know that's kind of been a topic. He is in a contract year not secured beyond. And that might be at the forefront of his mind that he's got to win and, and win the championship to, to prove something, but it could come at a cost as well. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to maturity level. I don't know that now nor Gregson has the maturity level yet uh, to advance to something like a cup ride. Uh, another year in Xfinity would probably do him good if he survives this year. <laughs> Um, uh, he, he's got to come to some of the same realizations that some of the other cup drivers have had to come to. You know, uh, Mike's article references uh, Joey Logano and uh, Brad Keselowski and some of the other drivers that are hard-nosed drivers. They're, they're aggressive drivers, and they make no bones about it. They go out there and they say that they're hard-nosed drivers, and, and uh, if you don't like it, <laughs> that's okay. Um, and th- they expect drivers, uh, as Mike puts it, to race them as hard as they race at the other drivers. So I think that <clears throat> Noah Gregson hasn't come to that 
understanding yet. He had, we we talked about it with um, uh, Tyler Reddick, another driver that lost his ride at uh, Junior Motorsports. Tyler Reddick actually said uh, in his post-race interview he had to weigh, he had to look at the risk versus the reward, and he had to do what was going to be best for the organization. Unfortunately, Tyler, um, Noah Gregson has not come to that bigger picture view yet. He is still looking at, I've got to do this for my career. He doesn't care about the team at this point and, and the long-term or bigger picture consequences of how that ripples out to affect the team. And that's where Noah Gregson's growth opportunity lies. How soon he comes to that understanding, how cute, soon he's able to mature to that level of understanding is going to make a big difference on where his career goes from here. And uh, I do think that uh, he, he's, he's going to have to have that. Uh, I, it's bad because I edited the article, so I'm using a lot of the same uh, verbiage that was used in that article. But the, the thing is, he, he's, got, he's got to really sit down and have a good long talk with himself and decide uh, what he's going to do. It's okay to be a hard-nosed driver and expect other drivers to drive that way with you. But when you are wrecking 12 out of 16 races, that is over-aggressive. And I'm not saying that all 12 of those races were over-aggressive moves, but the fact that it's happened in 12 out of 16 races, that should be a loud and clear message to Noah Gregson that he's got to look at doing something differently. If he hasn't heard it from Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, which I believe he probably has, um, he, he's going to hear it from the other drivers because they're only going to tolerate that for so long. So, uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at, at Noah's career, I mean, this is this aggression and, you know, these types of on-track incidents stem from the truck series and carried over to the Xfinity series. And I think going into 2020, I, I felt mm-hmm. like this was, to some degree, a make-or-break year for him because, you know, this was a theme last year, too, the, the over-aggression and the issues on the track. And I felt like this was a year where he was going to have to start trending away from that. And unfortunately, that's just not happening. Um, and, you know, for to some degree, the driver has to realize that himself. Um, you know, for every single post-race interview to just, chalk it up as just hard racing like that's just not going to cut it for the long term you know and hopefully man team management or somebody sets him down and steers him in the right direction because unfortunately um you know in this day and age you know that's not going to last for very long and and you know unfortunately for him and his team you know he's been aggressive enough to this point in the season where you know, somebody, I can't take credit for it, but I, I had either read or heard somewhere earlier today where somebody said he's not going to win the championship because he's made enough on-track enemies where even if he is a Final Four car, someone's going to make his life difficult and he won't win the title. So the more difficult you make life for other drivers on the track, it's going to come back and bite you. It's going to come back and bite the team, which isn't fair to the team and the people who work on that race car. And ultimately, it's going to come back and it's, 
he he's going to have a short career, or he's going to find himself driving mid-pack cars the rest of his time in NASCAR. So, you know, at the end of the day, he either needs to smarten up or he's going to be out of the sport. Okay, follow-up round. Mike. Yeah, Andy kind of brought it up a little bit of, you know, maybe in other economic times he might find himself driving mid-pack cars. But if a driver is consistently tearing up race cars, those teams just can't simply can't afford to have their driver destroying their race cars. If they get even a top-talent driver, and they, you know, an unfunded team can reel off a top 10 every once in a while, that's great for a team like that. But it's still a financial loser for them if, at, for every top ten, they're rolling in three or four wrecked race cars for each one of them. They're going to come out behind financially on that, and a smaller team just can't afford that. So when, when money becomes tight, a driver that's hard on equipment becomes a financial liability for the team, not just a competitive liability. Jay. Well, and, and I think Sharon's got the key point of the maturity of him as a driver uh, and what it takes for him to realize that and have that heart-to-heart look in the mirror uh, could involve losing another ride as, as uh, he did lose his ride at Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, I say lose the ride, um, didn't return there for a second season. Um, I think back to uh, Ricky Stenhouse, Roush Fenway Racing, uh, parked him for several races for that reason and made it quite clear. And we've seen several drivers, uh, you know, that got mentioned that have gone through that little wild and reckless win at all cost stages. Uh, you know, and I go back as far as Rusty Wallace, the checkers or wreckers mentality that eventually it will come. Hopefully it's not too late. Cause I do think he is a promising talent and could be a top star. Yeah, I don't think anybody questions uh, his talent. I think the talent is there. He just uh, takes it over the edge sometimes and drives a little bit over his head uh, in his desire and passion to go after that victory. And uh, that's that's where that maturity level is going to kind of come into play because he's he's got to weigh that risk versus reward part of the equation there. And and you mentioned, you know, he's not making friends. He's 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 going to be a lone wolf out there if it comes down to a championship. And you're right. He he was he's not he's been in this situation before with Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, they let him go. They didn't bring him back for a second season. Uh, and I think there was a reason he he was being a little hard headed and and uh, you know wanted to do it his way. So. Uh, that that's only going to take him so far. So he's got to decide, does he want to do it his way and go only so far, or is he going to listen to the advice that he's getting and and do what he needs to do and think bigger picture uh, versus what's in it for me uh, in in his racing style of racing. Um, and, and uh, you know, Joey Logano and... Uh, and uh, Brad Keselowski certainly don't make friends out there either, and, and they pay for it sometimes too because sometimes they don't get help from other drivers for exactly that reason. But they make no bones about it. They don't hide behind the It's just a racing thing. And I think that's part of it too. He has to decide what kind of a racer he wants to be. And if he chooses that, he's 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 got to understand there are consequences for those choices. So... 
um, it might not be the consequences that that he can live with on a long term basis. Andy. Uh, no real follow up, but certainly we'll be curious to see how the rest of his season goes and and uh, what things lie ahead for him. And obviously, it's up to him, you know, how, on how things go. Absolutely. Okay, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I guess that means that it might be time for us to do our uh, round table. Uh, good nights, and uh, we'll go ahead and start uh, with you, Jay. All right, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And talked about uh, one of the last couple shows, that, and I talked to Sharon last night. Article you can look forward to from me is looking at the 2020 season, the COVID-19 situation. Everybody wants to view it as a bad thing when it comes to NASCAR. It could be a positive for their future. Some of the things that have changed in NASCAR because of it and the impact and what it looked, the outlook for the future is. So I'm going to work on that, and I will be back on Thursday afternoon or morning, uh, depending on your time zone, with uh, Sharon for the preview show. Okay. Uh, Mike. Yeah, it's Mike Orzell on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzell on Twitter. Uh, we referenced it just a minute ago, but I do have a fresh article out regarding Noah Gregson, kind of examining some of the points that we talked about and maybe a few of the things that we didn't really get a chance to talk about on air. So go ahead and check that out. Um, looking forward to getting some firsthand experience. I'm going to be going down to Daytona and actually doing a track day. So I should hopefully have some more firsthand experience to talk about how that uh, that Daytona road course drives. I'm um, going down there next week and uh, maybe provide a little bit of feedback on that and talk about it as the Cup Series drivers get to it later next month. Okay. Andy. For me, AOFD14 on Twitter, and unfortunately uh, won't be able to do the Thursday show, so hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about uh, all the racing at Kansas this week. Four races should be fun. Looking forward to it. And, uh Definitely uh, looking forward to talking about that next week. Okay. Fan for Racing site uh, on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website uh, at fanforacing.com. Uh, so I know uh, Owen's probably going to have the uh, power rankings coming out soon. Uh, I want to share some thoughts and prayers for uh, Sam. He had a, a family uh, death, not a family death, a friend death, uh, over the weekend, and so he's had a rough uh, weekend. Uh, our thoughts and prayers certainly for the family uh, and all of the friends and, and for Sam, our team member, as he goes through kind of a rough spot here. That's why he did not have the recap for this week. Uh, but we appreciate uh, everything that Sam does for us, and uh, we wish him the best. Um, and uh, a big shout-out to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in, we appreciate all of you uh, for taking the time to tune in to hear what we have to say. And uh, to our Fan for Racing crew here, uh, for all that you do, we appreciate all of you. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.